just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw, been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. Good old boys. I'm Mark. Bog Beef. And I'm, you know, that fucking guy. Tink Thorpe's back. Third chair, GOB. Yeah, uh, you know, we need, like, some sort of Nordic conspiracy, like, in the old sort of schema of woke, or broke, woke, and bespoke. So, broke, it's saying that the (laughs) control everything. Woke is saying that the Irish (laughs) control everything. And the bespoke is saying that, you know, the leaders of Paradox Studios really rule the world. (laughs) Yeah, there... uh... You may hear this one before, but the last episode we talked about, there's this, uh, I guess, I can't even remember, 17th century, 18th. Anyways, there's this crazy book that was written like 300 years ago that claims uh, Sweden was like, oh, uh, yeah. that, that was where the, the Garden of Eden was. That was where Troy was. Adam's, uh, the Bible was originally written in Swedish. Uh, the, the Jews were Swedes. Anyways, it's, it's amazing shit. I need to get that book. That, <laughs> yeah, that guy may- lived in Uppsala, my town, and like he, he he was really into that stuff, man. Yeah, and he was like a smart guy too. That's what that's what makes it awesome. But uh, and he was making a story, which we'll we'll get into, uh, which we'll get into later. It made me think of um, I've seen different times where people like um, like the Nordics or whenever like south or whenever like Southeast Europe like uh, gets anything ahead. Uh, West, like the Western Europe, they're always, they have all these funny things they say. They'll be like, um, yeah, well, uh, you know, th- th- I've seen this stuff, especially written about, written about like, because you know, Austria, they've had some, they've had some good years in history. Yeah. 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 For, they were one of the, yeah, one of the greatest powers in the world for a very long time. If Absolutely. you read, if you read anything from like the French or the Germans, they'll say, oh yeah, yeah. Those people are, are the most worthless people ever that they, they, they can't win a war or whatever, but they'll, but they'll beat you in the peace talks. That's <laughs> one of the old only things they always say is this is what they say about us in the South, by the way, they say, uh, they say that the North people from the North say this, they say the North lost the civil war because the South won in the peace talks. You know what I mean? Yeah. This kind of thing. This, this is always a, this is always a great, yeah, and I brought, but when we were just, uh, we just were on Oren and like, I brought that up. That's not true because like there, we wasn't a peace talk. There were like, there were like between like about 10 years of, of like partisan warfare after the civil war. It wasn't like that, the, uh, the, the, no, uh, well, I guess we're just going to be the bigger guys and let this go. No, it was like, it was a fucking violent, violent struggle that uh, I guess the second time around that the South won. Speaking of struggle, so uh, the best thing that Twitter works for these days is uh, it's not to like rehash Twitter arguments in there. It's Twitter is a good place to like throw stuff out there, see what sticks, and you can have like these uh, uh, quick early interactions to sort of vet uh, interesting things. And a lot of this uh, this subject that we're talking about, there, there's a couple of Twitter interactions in particular that really really got me going on this. There was a, there was a you know like a centrist lib- liberals were discussing uh, you know January sixth stuff, the failure in Afghanistan, and blah blah blah. They were talking about why this kind of thing happened. And one guy said, well, you know, this is just like this this is just like Nazi Germany. So the, <laughs> the the reason why the Weimar Republic fell was that the government. Didn't they didn't investigate uh, radicals? <laughs> no, no the, one guy said like it was because they were they didn't have enough like t- technology, right? That the Germany fell behind and then science and industry. 
Yeah, this guy in particular, <laughs> he he pinned the blame. He said, "Well, the real problem was that they 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 didn't use the secret police to to spy and monitor on like uh, on like on like uh, you know minority yeah. political parties." And what I said was, uh, "Well, that uh, that's not true." Uh, Mr. Adolf Hitler was like literally a glowy. He would be, he would like when people say, Oh, that, that guy's a fed, you know, some poster or something we just went on Oran's show. People said Oran's a fed. What, what, <laughs> what's a fed? Well, fed was, he was paid by the government to monitor the NSDAP. He was I supposed, mean, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, he was paid by the army military intelligence and, um, he infiltrated the DAP before it was the NSDAP, so the German Workers' Party in English. Uh, and the leader of that party said, wow, this Hitler guy is really great, like gifted orator, and, you know, we really have some great ideas. And Hitler kind of just realized that, well, you know, this is kind of fun. I guess I'll keep doing this. And then eventually his hun- handler stopped paying him money, but he kept doing this because, like, he was better at it than painting as or so people say. Yeah, Hitler was not some Prussian officer. He was a nobody corporal. Like this is this is a way for him to actually be somebody. It's yeah. it's funny because like he he went native in the most like the most <laughs> the craziest way. You could the reverberations of this like you know ten years later the entire world's at war because the government paid this guy to to ship post. Yeah, who was the big fat gay guy that ran it for him? Armstrong. No, that's yeah. the leader of the SA. Yeah, it was some other guy. Um, I can't remember his name, but it's like not super important. You're, you're, when you think about the fat gay guy, you're thinking about the leader of the brown shirts. I got you. so one. Of the, so maybe it's a different guy. But from what I read, like uh, the, the thing that really lit this, the, the the spark for him there was that uh, you know they do this kind of stuff. Uh, he goes there and like uh, the the part where you give speeches, right? So he, he tried his hand as that, and he even knows anything about his, his life before that. I don't think he was given any. To, to make speeches when he's like living under the bridge uh, as an artist, or when yeah. he was in the army, he was like a he was like a, a runner, a, a courier in the army. So uh, he's like, oh, I'll try this giving speeches, and uh, that sort of uh, got the spark going. And the guy's like, oh, you, we might have you might be uh, do well in this organization. You're really good at this this public speaking thing, and that got him going. Yeah, um, the thing here is so so like there's a greater context in which we're uh, revealing the fact that Adolf Hitler was literally a glowy like sent to infiltrate and destroy the German right wing and you know that didn't go super well for like <laughs> mission not accomplished but but obviously this this entire topic is in, on the tip of everyone's tongue right now for very obvious reasons um, because like even before the U.S. lost the war in Afghanistan and everyone realized that, like, the empire is coming home because, you know, they're out of a fucking job over there. So you, everyone could see where things were going with, like, January 6th and even before then, you know, the fortified 2020 election, which people were super proud of and, and, and just a general sort of drift towards... As it was once said, a republic, if you can keep it, and, and everyone's kind of realizing that that republic, if it didn't disappear a long fucking time ago, it's pretty much slipping out of everyone's hands as we speak. So, so but, the, but the problem here is just that when everyone talks about this crap, 
like, you know, Glowis, the FBI, NSA, spying on the internet. Like, it really brings home the point that, like, a little knowledge is the most dangerous thing. Because if you're, like, totally ignorant about something, like, I don't know anything about astrophysics. So if I see people, you know, talking about some problem in astrophysics, I'll just go, yeah, well, you know, I'm stone cold retarded. I don't know anything. So I'm just going to listen. And if you that's, know, that's us yeah. on this, because we were yeah. talking about this beforehand, because uh, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, yeah, he's a glowy. And, uh, and uh, we were saying this, well, I, I don't know anything about glowies or how they work. Yeah. And, and so, like, again, if you don't know anything, like you tend to have an open mind, but, but. And if you know a lot of stuff, like, sure, you can have an informed opinion about something because, you know, you know what you're talking about. But there's this, like, big initial hump where, you know, I watched a Bond movie and that KGB woman, like, stabbed that guy with the poison, like, needle in the boot or whatever. And, you know, yeah, it's going to be a totalitarian nightmare. It's going to be worse than China, like, the U.S. is doomed. And again, like this, this fundamentally misunderstands so many things that like it comes into the territory of it not even being wrong almost. Like you can't even start grappling with a lot of that argument before you actually examine the sort of assumptions. The background here is we're talking about, uh, we're talking about basically the security apparatus. Uh, what, what if it turned on the United inside and it sort of uh, pivots towards quote unquote American Taliban? Yeah. Right-wing extremists, red states, whatever you oh, want to call yes, it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is sort of uh, this thing that's been floating around. We had talked about it with, with Tinkzorg a little bit, and uh, he was saying, yeah, this is going to happen. There was, this big, there was this big tweet that went around with Noah Smith, and he was sort of just musing about the future of America. And I, and I asked him sort of uh, based on the, the Tinkzorg thing, I said, do you, where do you see this going? Do you see this ending up in a, uh, you know, I, I was like very specific. I was like the intelligence apparatus, the military, the, the, the blah, blah, blah. Are they going to focus to on, on sort of these sorts of people? He goes, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That, that's what's going to happen. That, that, anyways, that's the background of what we're talking about. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. Um, and, and before anyone asked, no, I don't have like a PhD in glowiness or something like that. I'm not a, certified expert like one you'd find on the New York Times. But like we live in an era where if we're being completely honest, like if I was some sort of PhD in this crap, like that in itself would be a reason not to listen to me. Um, because these these experts in, you know, warfare and community building and blah 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 fucking blah haven't really sort of done a great work lately. If they had, probably the US would have done better in Afghanistan, let's just say. So I just come at this as someone who actually tries to read up on history on, you know, how this stuff actually works and how it has worked historically, how the sausage is made. And, and I think, think that's pretty important that, like, people who are sort of interested in, in, in their own future should do, like, a little bit of that reading if they can, because it can actually help them. This stuff is probably coming. Everyone's sort of sending out all these trial balloons and you have people in the U.S. speaking with, like, an open eliminationist re- rhetoric about their fellow countrymen. And those people are not just random strangers. They're, like, people in Congress, big-name journalists, people in think tanks going, Oh, you know, the American people are tired of the unvaccinated. We need some sort of final solution. And it's David fucking Frum saying that stuff. The thing to keep in mind here 
and and this is the most important point, is that you know empires at the later stages of of their lifetime they do come home, but like this is not something that rejuvenates them, that makes them go super saiyan like in Dragon Ball or whatever, where you unlock the power of the Dragon Balls. No. Like, the Empire comes home, and all of the weakness and dysfunctionality and so on that made it fail abroad is retained. And it actually gets worse. It doesn't get better when it comes home. It actually gets a lot worse. For pretty normal reasons. Like, these are the same people using the exact same institutions. Like, they don't want to abolish these institutions because they have, like, all of these vested institutional interests. So the CIA that failed in Afghanistan is the same CIA that's going to, you know make sure that the American Taliban don't ever retake Kandahar. And if you go into this with some sort of assumption that, no, they're going to be su- hyper-competent because they're evil. Like, no, they, this, this is a cope. And I think it's a pretty natural cope in a way, because if you ask any Russian, again, I think I've made this point before, but it bears restating. If you ask any Russian, like, would you live in the sort of grey Soviet tyranny of the 70s where you had no political freedom? Or would you live in the cool 90s where, you know, Gorbachev makes Pizza Hut commercials and um, you have the freedom to go with toppings all the way out to the crust? (laughs) If you can afford that stuff, which you can't because, like, the monetary system has basically collapsed... Uh, and people are getting paid in bottles of vodka if they're getting paid at all, or in coffins, because, spoiler alert, coffins are surprisingly useful. Like, you can find a lot of use for coffins in in 90s Russia, like burying people uh, that (laughs) keep dying for various reasons. It in their life, especially you go down into the, into the fifties. Yeah, and that, that like that's that's crazy for a, 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 the the leader of the second world at the time, and like just suddenly now you're you're sub-Saharan Africa to your life expectancy. Yeah, I mean, I had an argument about this with someone, uh, some American, who said like, no, you you don't understand. Like the nineties are already here in the U.S. because if you look at, you know, the poorer parts where there's a lot of fentanyl, like you know it's a fucking mess, like demographically speaking. And yes, it is, but it can get so much worse. Like in the worst places in the US with like dropping life expectancy, you are basically approaching the level of Russia. But you have to remember that um, like for Russia, this stuff didn't happen just for former miners in the Urals or whatever. Like this happened for the entire society, like that sort of catastrophe. And uh, the US is not there yet. But but the the reason I bring the the Russian nineties up is because like anyone who's lived through that crap, well, almost anyone, maybe not the oligarchs, but pretty much every normal person who's not a member of the elite, but just an average sort of working stiff, like living under the unfreedom of a working sort of communist tyranny is so much preferable to living under you know a completely non-operative, dysfunctional, kleptocracy, oligarchy. Like, it's not even close. Then if you look at the US today, like, you, you, in theory, you have all these freedoms. You can say whatever you want, except that, you know, free speech in the US is, like, now officially sort of Idi Amin, the former um, uh, um, dictator of Uganda, who says, you know, I guarantee every Ugandan citizen freedom of speech. 
but I don't guarantee them freedom after speech. <laughs> or or in, in, in the liberal parlance, like, you don't have freedom from consequences of your speech, dude. Like, that's not the same thing. Like, people are openly saying that. So, so all of these cool metaphorical concepts, like, liberals don't believe in them, think they're evil, and are sort of trampling on them with impunity. Um, so, a lot of the time, you can trade those things in for, you know having a job, being able to go to the hospital, maybe not starving to death. And that's kind of what disappeared in, in, in the 90s. So for people, like, the big sort of nightmare scenario is not actually living in, like, a functioning tyranny. Like, a functioning tyranny, um, a lot of people can just say, yeah, this is pretty nice, I don't care about politics, but the trains run on time. Uh, a non-functioning oligarchy is is so much worse. There's a cost to, to the function. I, I always think of um, the, I, the the theories that they're like super genius and they yeah. run everything. The way that they normally work, I guess, it would be something like FDR is kind of like an Augustus figure, and the CIA is sort of like uh, they sort of what, what's the Praetorian Guard thing? Yeah, and then and then they're sort of in charge, and they're just sort of like the secret council of, of, of people, and they're sort of running everything. When you think about that in the Roman times, like um, like okay, so you have like Augustus, he's the supreme dictator, he's got the iron fist and stuff. As time goes on, uh, you know, you see this, you see the Praetorian Guard is like literally in charge, but. What it means to be in charge is not the same thing as what it meant to be in charge in 50 AD. Yeah, like, I, you're just sort of riding this wave of like making decisions doesn't really mean the same thing anymore. Once once the decline starts really kicking in. Yeah, I, no, I, I get your point here. And I think the Praetorian Guard sort of metaphor is actually kind of useful here. At first, I thought like, no, that's not it at all. But actually, like the Praetorian Guard only starts running things for real once like things are just a total disaster in, in the Roman Empire. And they're not very good rulers, as it would turn out, because they do stuff like say, well, we're going to pick an emperor based on who pays us the highest salary. We don't care about the other stuff, like running an empire, who cares? But, you know, giving money to the Praetorian Guard, this is the selection criterion for, for uh, the next leader. Because we say so, and we have, you know, the swords. And, you know... The Praetorian Guard is really good at selecting people who are loyal to the Praetorian Guard and, you know, give them fat salaries. And uh, if you do that too many times, like, the empire is going to fucking fall apart. Because, again, like, they have no institutional interest in sort of actually sitting in the cockpit and knowing what all the dials of politics do. Like, that's not their job. And it shouldn't be their job. And the moment they get that, like, you put them in the cockpit, it's like putting some, like, uh, flight stewardess saying, oh, well, you're the pilot now. Like, their training doesn't prepare them for that at all. You see this sort of massive cope a lot of the time now, where these people are made superhuman. And I wrote that piece, that, like, essay or whatever on, on my blog uh, called Farewell to Bourgeois Kings. And, and it got a lot of, like, engagement. I think it's up to almost 100,000 views now or something. And a lot of the comments were just, look, I buy the argument that like the managerial class is sort of discredited and nobody's going to like take them seriously anymore because they've sort of 
um, reveal themselves as these bumbling incompetents who have no mandate of heaven. But they can just turn to the NSA panopticon. Like, this is literally what someone said. Like, the NSA panopticon. This all-seeing um, capability of the National Security Agency. Like, this is so, a power so great that any, like, fucking two-bit tyrant who is so incompetent that he can't even tie his own shoelaces. He can just use this magical artifact, the NSA Panopticon, and continue ruling for, I don't know, 300 years, maybe? <laughs> yeah, have you ever read about this thing? Uh, the, what? what? The Panopticon. Yeah, like... The, oh, but, the, hey, before we go on, this is this. it should be said that like, when we were talking about, if we're talking about FDR as Augustus and the CIA as a Praetorian Guard, you know, when FDR came to power, he had his brain trust and the, you know, the CIA's predecessor was the oss like these were genuinely extremely extremely smart and capable people yeah. like like at the time they were formed they were like they you could call them Victorian guard they were that like they 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 were the thing that we pretend the cia is now yeah the, the, the problem is it's like malcolm says do you still does anyone still think those people can can do that do they think the cia is still that do they think the nsa is still that i, I think it's the answer is very obviously no we're crossed between weimar and the austro-hungarian empire like this is not this is not a, a the beginning of a, a thousand year tyranny of like super advanced cyborg creatures and that's just that's not what we're seeing yeah, and, and it should be added that, like, during the sort of run-up to the Second World War and during Roosevelt's period of the Second World War, and to be fair, like, for, for a while afterwards, like, most of these governing institutions were extremely small and focused. If you have the OSS, um, it's going to be a pretty, like, slim-down organization that gets a budget and is told, like, accomplish all of these things. Like, it doesn't have the muck of ages. It doesn't have all of these, like, useless secretary, undersecretary positions where people are just paid to sort of flip papers around. And you sort of have to pay them because, you know, that's your cousin or whatever. Um, they, they, they are too young to really have these huge, massive institutional commitments. And... You know, foreign policy in during that period, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it's generally agreed that like the, the big movers and shakers, like it was, you, you could put them in a fairly small room because it was like a dozen people or so. Yeah. And what happens um, in like human societies generally is that you can never, almost never really remove any political institution without basically fighting a civil war. If you fight a civil war and win, you, to the victor goes to spoils, you can just abolish shit that you don't want. But like if you're the king of France rather than the Jacobins, there's too much sort of um, patronage and institutional sort of... Um, self-interest and so on. So if you want to centralize power, generally what you do is you create a new institution to do a thing that the old institution did, and you keep that old institution. Yeah. Just, you know, make all of that crap fairly irrelevant. Like, it's sinecures, it's it's bribes to people to keep them from being restive. This is what... You, you know the the Evergreen story? So, yeah. uh, so as part of this is... is the evergreen thing didn't have anything to do with wokeness. This was, this was like an institutional takeover that this follows what you're saying. So it's one of the final steps, basically what he did, 
you know, this is a, this is a public institution, so he can't just like, uh, it, it has to fall under all the, the state law. So he can't just like, uh, uh, you know, declare himself dictators. So what he did was that he created a new office, the office of, uh, diversity and inclusion, and then put every under other like existing office under that. Now he's yeah. dictator. Yeah, exactly. This is kind of like if I'm going to use some sort of metaphor. Like if you get a, a really serious wound, the body actually tries to you know fix that, but like the scar tissue, it's just of a lower quality than than you know normal unharmed tissue. That's kind of reasonable because actually fixing that stuff represents a massive energy invest investment and it's kind of like from a evolutionary perspective like what's the use if you get really hurt when you're 40 or whatever you probably already have kids so like there's probably not much added benefit into like making sure you can live 200 years and we generally don't we die a lot earlier than that because you know from an evolutionary perspective, it's just more trouble than it's worth to keep us alive forever. And, and it's kind of the same with this sort of um, solution to um, like the problem of politics, of already entrenched interests and so on. It's like what I asked, I asked Jarvin. I said, uh, well, well how, what would you need to do to, to get rid of uh, the TSA, these people that frisk us at the airport? He's like, well, you'd need a revolution. That's pretty much the only way. Like, if you don't have a revolution, like a real civil war kind of thing, um, what you can do when you take power as some sort of, like, quasi-revolutionary, like the, the Nazis were notorious for this, is that you basically add your own new institutions. And this is exactly what the Nazis did. Germany had already had its civil war that, like, ended inconclusively in a way and, and wasn't nearly as big as a, a deal as the Russian Civil War. And, you know, the Nazis were, like, fairly, I guess, fairly weak. Like, they didn't have the power to sort of take on all of Germany's, like, business interests, the old nobility and so on. So what, what they usually did was they created, like, new organizations and made, like, the new organization and the old organization fight each other. Which is, you know, the oldest sort of trick in the book, you know, divide and conquer. It's been practiced to good effect for thousands of years. Obviously, that adds a lot of inefficiency to your, um, like, governmental structure. But a lot of the time, it can be worth the, the, the investment because, like, maybe those old institutions are too inefficient anyway. So having squandering or wasting resources on, you know, having the... Uh, Oberkommando des Wehrmacht and the Oberkommando des Heeres fight over, you know, jurisdiction is better than just having one of them with, like, incompetence. So so that's essentially what the Nazis did. They built a lot of, like, new structures and then they had this huge basically official slush fund. All the people that were sort of causing trouble, they just said, well, would you like, what's your price point? Like, do you want the mansion in Poland? Do you want, like, five new luxury cars, whatever. And, and you know, most people, they just named their price and Hitler paid that and they stopped making trouble. So generally that's how we solve things, but you can't do that forever because at some point, like, the inefficiency in that eclipses any sort of institutional gain you can add. And I think the West in general is at that point, and the US certainly is. Like, we've gone from, you know, 12 people deciding on... Um, 
uh, foreign policy generally to having like the State Department fight like three other institutions over who gets to decide on this particular line item. If you add another institution, it's just going to make the problem worse, not better. The thing is, like this idea about the NSA panopticon betrays a real like misunderstanding of what secret police do. People imagine that secret police just, you know, prevent revolution. And in a way, that's that's kind of true. And in a way, it's really not. A lot of revolutionaries tend to be throughout history are paid by the secret police. Um, like we've not always had secret police in the sort of modern sense. But as long as we've had them, like you can bet your ass that maybe even a majority of the revolutionaries have like some if they're not on the payroll themselves, they're working for someone on the payroll. And Americans think, oh my God, like this Whitmer plot, look, like the FBI had <laughs> 11 guys and then they found the 12th guy who thought it was a real thing and then they said, we're going to kidnap the governor. And then it turned out to be just a huge hoax and that one or two guys that weren't fucking F informants, they get a jail sentence for essentially like opening a Nigerian scam email. And they think, oh, like, you Euro Europeans, like, you you've never had anything like this, man. Like, this is on a whole other level of totalitarian oppression. And it's like, God, if you only knew. <laughs> the, the, we, we can get with, to, like, an example of how the real big boys of history have played. <laughs> and, like, this this American FBI stuff, it's just kid like it's it's the mushroom cup it's not the star cup like this is this is the entry <laughs> level um and this might actually make some like americans mad because we're all nationalists and uh, hearing that your country isn't actually that special I, like i know it hurts it hurts me too to open up something about the that they're not invincible i would say uh it's totally open public record wikipedia you can look this up that uh at least uh, George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, and Obama basically reorganized the secret police, uh, and it did. All of them like basically didn't trust the structure that was there. Yeah. They would like make one more powerful than the other. So like, uh, what is it? Uh, Obama made the NSA. Uh, George W. Bush made Department of Homeland Security, and each one of them like made one the king and just totally reorganized them. Yeah. So uh, and they didn't and like they didn't get shot. So uh, that's, that's just a small point there in terms of them being like, uh, you know, God. Yeah, and, and the fact that you have to do that means that they're more interested in fighting each other over budget than actually doing one, anything, which is does not really augur well for this sort of totalitarian thousand-year soy state. Like, they've, they've, they've issued statements against each other in the yeah. past 10 years. They have had, like, they, each of their mercenary units in Syria fought each other in the past 10 years. Yeah. And so, but, but first we really have to sort of lay out, like, what does a secret police actually do? Because this is one of the, um, this is one of the areas where people think they know the answer because they watch James Bond. But, like, they really don't because it's, it's not like that. So secret police have two tasks. Like, if you really want to simplify things. And the first task is the one that people are broadly familiar with, which is, you know, Lenin has an older brother who's some, like, you know, really smart guy at some university, and then he reads some book or whatever and says, I'm going to blow up the Tsar because um, monarchy is bad. 
Like, I'm going to sit and read books with my friends here in the university, and we're going to find some, like, cliff notes on how to build a bomb. And then we're going to build that bomb, and we're going to blow up the Tsar, and this is going to, you know, usher in the revolution. And so when he did that, the the Russian secret police at the time, Dokrana, uh, they found this out because they had a lot of informants and so on to go to all of these book clubs and meetings. And they sort of arrested that guy and said, you know, you actually built this bomb and you you were about to blow up like your sovereign. I think we're going to hang you because this is kind of a serious thing. And so they did. People think that this is super important, but actually like it doesn't really matter. Like you can basically take all of those guys and tell them to go on vacation. Like don't stop any terrorists, like just let them blow things up. And that does not necessarily even weaken the regime. Like, it's not going to usher in a revolution. But it's not even certain that, like, having all of these people build their bombs after being radicalized in some study group, like, that actually hurts you. And Russia is a great example of this because um, without going too much into the details, like, the sort of early socialists, like, the really early ones, before Marx was really something that anyone had read, in Russia at least, like these people were essentially romantics and they romanticized, uh, they were, you know, Russian Bernie bros in a sense, like talking about, oh man, the Russian peasantry, it's so cool and awesome. We're going to go out and live with them and teach them to be revolutionaries because we totally need a revolution, man. And then they went out to the people like during a sort of big project, literally called Going to the People, and the peasants, they just hated them. They they kicked them out. Or uh, uh, they just told the police or the secret police, you know, these revolutionaries, you should probably jail them because they're stupid. Um, <laughs> and this was very sort of, uh, this led to a lot of sad feels. And so these romantics that loved the people in some abstract sense, they said, well, we can't trust the people. We're going to become terrorists and we're going to blow like all of these evil sores up until we have a revolution. And they launched a multi-decade, like a terrorist campaign that lasted for like, I don't know, like almost 50 years now that I think about it, like almost 50 years of nonstop terrorism. And this terrorism was pretty fucking serious. Like, you know, suicide bombers in the West, but more fanatical. So they got a pretty good kill count. Like for, But for every minister or whatever they kill, they probably kill like 40 civilians or something. But, you know, can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs, I guess. But like they actually killed the big guy. They killed Tsar Alexander III. So we we did have a fair amount of this in the, the late 60s, but that's not... We, we had a serious amount of bombings and what you know the revel the the what is the the thing of the deed propaganda of the deed yeah oh, sorry, Propag- they, uh, i was wrong they killed alexander the second not the third but yeah they killed the Tsar. we had plenty of this from the 1880s into the the tw- into like around 1920 <clears throat> yeah and 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 the thing about them killing the Tsar is that like it didn't didn't really matter for Russian history in general, it proved to be like it, it changed the course of history, but it didn't really do what they thought it would do, which is, you know, rouse the people to revolution. Because newsflash, if you throw like a suitcase bomb at a guy that generally people have faith in, they think that like most of the thing that's 
stuff that's wrong in Russia is because of the Tsar's evil ministers. But Alexander II literally abolished serfdom. Like, he, he's, he's not a bad guy. And then they kill him, and it turns out, like, all these peasants just go, man, I wish the secret police would do something about these stupid terrorists. Then if the secret police had just said, oh, yeah, we're definitely going to do something about them, and then had just gone on vacation for 20 years and had these people running around just blowing kids up, as collateral damage for the cause, like the only thing that would have happened is that people would have hated these revolutionaries even more than they already did. And they hated them a lot. So, like, these plots, like this, like, what if Whitmer had been a real thing? Like, no glow is at all, just like 12 dudes saying, we're going to kidnap this governor because, I don't know, whatever, like, the Gadsden flag, don't fret on me, that's why we're kidnapping this (laughs) guy. It's a, it's a lady, by the way. Yeah, sorry, this lady. Yeah, like, the only thing that would have happened if they this had happened for real is that everyone would have said, man, these people are, they're pretty nuts. Like, I don't trust them. Someone should put them down like rabid dogs. And the thing is, maybe it would be really, really impactful if this particular governor was like the capstone holding the entire country together. And if you just eliminated her, everything would collapse. But that's not where the U.S. is right now. Like, you literally have a senile president. Like, if someone... (laughs) Nothing is going to improve. Nothing would change, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you... Kamala Harris, like, who cares? You can just keep... People in the American elite. And they will find some other mediocrity who is just as retarded as everyone else to fill in the shoes. If you think think this sounds, like, pretty hyperbolic, like... You have to realize that this, they actually tried this out in Russia. The Russian secret police during the, like, after it was reorganized from the third section into the Okrana, like, these were really ruthless and pretty far out guys. So, like, this Whitmer thing, like, they would have looked at that as some sort of, you know, kids, potato, whatever, like, you know, <laughs> potato painting or something, like, really juvenile. Like, they weren't interested in that sort of, like, uh, kiddie stuff, like, playing at being an out-of-control secret police department. What they actually did was they had um, people that were their informants who were part of the, like, the worst sort of terrorist group, the Socialist Revolutionary Combat Organization, like, they paid the leader of that that thing a salary. And that guy, like, he wasn't, he wasn't really their guy in, in any real sense of the word. Like, this business relationship was, he, would, he was straight up, like, planning a ton of assassinations and carrying them through. Um, assassinations of nobles, you know, state functionaries, stuff like that. High-level people. And uh, uh, when the Okrana sort of asked him, he'd sort of leak uh, when his underlings would meet. But not all of his underlings, obviously. Like, the Okrana were just sort of mowing the lawn, making sure that, like, they, they, um, the, the violent terrorist population wasn't growing out of control. Uh, but he didn't really take orders from them. Like, they paid him all of this money, and he kept killing, like, government bureaucrats. And they just reasoned that, well, you know, most of these government bureaucrats, like, who cares if a couple of them die? Like, I don't care. They can just find some other incompetent noble cousin or whatever. <laughs> and, and, like, 
Dokrana wasn't wrong. You see that this is on a whole other level than the Whitmer plot. Yeah. Like, imagine the FBI just giving people um, the security schedule and so on and just saying, you should ki- kidnap Whitmer and just kill her. And you uh, should do that to a bunch of other governors too. And like, you know, in exchange, we'll pay you a salary. And then you can sort of leak the names of some subordinates so we can arrest them. And like, you know, we'll have a useful business relationship. The, That's the, not what the FBI is doing. I mean, in the context of America, so if you look at... Um, so if these people are supposed to, like, if their main goal is to stop these kinds of people, well, uh, someone shot uh, a president in the 80s. Uh, someone threw uh, a grenade. Like, it landed right next to uh, Bush in 2005. It, the grenade just happened to be a dud. Uh, and second off, like, are they, were these people, like, politically, like, relevant at all? Like, did anyone, like, we're going to follow John Hinckley? Uh, we're going to follow... Uh, the dude that shot JF, uh, JFK, the like guy, the guy that crashed his plane on the White House lawn. Yeah, for, none for of this, me. none of this had any political relevance at all. Yeah, and, and and so the thing is, like, secret police organizations can be really effective, like not completely effective, obviously, but they can do a pretty damn good job of finding people, sort of building bombs in secret, and then going, mm, I don't know about this. I think we're going to hang you now. The problem here is just that this first function, like it doesn't really matter. You can you can just freestyle and say, but what if we actually gave these people bombs and actually helped them blow up our own government functionaries? Wouldn't that be funny to try out? And like, they do that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it doesn't make the revolutionaries any more popular. It like does and and it doesn't make the government function much worse because like all of these people are sort of decadent mediocrities anyway and so like this this first task like finding all of these sort of radicalized revolutionaries and then stopping them or helping them it's the one everyone focuses on but but like it doesn't really matter the the problem with revolutionaries is that they imagine that what they're doing actually does something but if it does something it, like if you actually kill the czar all that does is convince ordinary people that you're some sort of rabid dog and, and you should be put down. The the Rotarmee-Fraktion, also known as the Bader-Meinhof gang, they literally had this theory, which is basically the socialist combat organization theory, um, where, you know, if you just blow up stadiums, like, people would realize that capitalism is really evil, man, and people will wake up, like, in V for Vendetta, and they'll just march on the government and go, oh, the tyranny is over. It's time for democracy. And like, you know, everyone just thought they were clowns, like really dangerous clowns, like maybe psychotic clowns, but clowns nonetheless. Like for every bomb they blew up, like the, the, the revolution didn't get closer. In fact, it got farther away. So like a really cynical, um, you know, cold-blooded secret police agency actually does what the Okrana does, which is like, we're going to actually help you like in a very real way, just kill government bureaucrats because they're really replaceable. And everyone is just going to start saying maybe revolution isn't such a good idea, the more people you kill. And I like the FBI, it's not really that level of like psychotic sort of, (laughs) you know, uh, let's do things for the lulls. Uh, as the Russian secret police. Like, it's it's not even close. It might get there, but again, like, this is not a panopticon. Well, I, I, don't, I, I don't know anything about the Ukraine, so 
I won't, like, but when it comes to the FBI and, and our domestic services, I, I think a, a, a big part of this at this point is that, you know, this is their job. This is what they get paid for. So they're going to, they're going to find whatever. Like, if you, if you tell them you need to find extremists, dangerous extremists, they're going to, they're going to. Oh, yeah. They're going to invent them. They've been really rubbing our nose in this in the last year, the last couple of years, about how, like, you know, here's the new military, here's the new FBI. It's like all, uh, purple hair ladies with the cats and stuff like that. Uh, those people, like, they're not, I'm not, I'm not worried about them becoming like the next, uh, the next black hand, you know, like this, like this is mysterious, super competent, uh, secret police service that'll cause World War Three to happen. Now they seem like they're more, more like the. Let's just sit back and pretend that we're busy, so we can yeah. keep collecting our paycheck. Yeah, and and this is a huge problem for every institution in the U.S. And again, like once yeah. the empire comes home, this is what everyone was doing in Afghanistan, like just sitting around collecting a paycheck, sort of bleeding Uncle Sam dry in like the biggest sort of corruption case probably in the history of humanity, just measured in dollars. Every time we talk about. It, Pretty much anything that involves the government now, it, it comes back to the central thesis that you that you ha- ha- sit on our show in the very first time. Like like there's these people who like, they're parasitically feeding off of government of government money, and, and like they're just going they they can't stop because they're 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 you know they're out on our ass if if it stops. They they can't really reduce the threat. Like they have to keep es- ramping things up, escalating everything to make to make room for more and more of them until just like we're spending the entire fucking yeah. GDP on yeah, useless bureaucrats. Yeah. And and this sort of ties into the other part of the the docket of a good secret police agency. And Okrana was very meticulous about this too. The really important task that people really don't appreciate is to monitor your own population and then write up reports of, you know, the frog being boiled. I, you, you sort of listen in on what people are saying at the pub or the local fish market or whatever, and then you just go, I think these people can take 5% more abuse. After that, things are going to explode. So our recommendation, if you're going to increase the abuse, keep it to 5%, but ideally like turn it down 10 percent because like we're we're sort of hitting the limit and once we hit the limit things are going to go bad um so you know before the revolution of 1917 like the first one the october revolution or sorry the february of revolution sorry the october revolution is the second one so the february revolution is basically all of russian society including the military turning on the tsar Uh, That's not where the Bolsheviks take over. They take over half a year later. But in this revolution, the big cities of Russia, because of, you know, total sort of incompetence and decadence uh, after with Russia having like these elites that sort of only parasitize on the population, like they can't run the empire, but you have to pay them all of these salaries and give them all of these privileges because they're, they're the guys. The entire state like stops functioning over time and it really stops functioning with the war and so you have like real starvation in in the big cities and this starvation goes on for months and months and months like it's not people having no food but it's people sort of having to stand 40 hours in a bread line after working 40 hours and then maybe getting bread like 
50% of the time. You can probably survive for a while, maybe half a year doing that, but you're going to get really, really, really angry in the process. And so the Okrana is writing up all of these reports saying that, okay, you know, you have all of these uh, mothers who are watching their kids starve. And like at the start of this, this debacle, revolutionaries had basically no voice, like nobody listened to them. But now people are starting to say, like, the only way to get bread is to depose the, the not just like Nicholas II, like the, the Tsar. Maybe we need to remove monarchy altogether. And so the longer this starvation period keeps up, the more people are going to uh, put one and one, two and two together. Like they're going to start associating not having bread with living in a monarchy. So you need to get them bread, like if you don't, you're going to have a revolution. We can't predict when. Maybe it's going to take like three months. And then it take like three months or, and two weeks or whatever. But like they wrote a ton of these reports and most of them were fairly accurate. And like that was their job. Once you have a hundred thousand like really angry women or 200,000, which is a thing that happened, by the way, like in, in, in Petrograd or St. Petersburg, as it's known today. Like once you have those people outside, out on the streets, sort of mucking everything up and forcing their husbands and brothers and sons to go and strike, there's nothing a secret police can do. Like it's not a military arm of, of the government. And even if it was, like the situation has gotten so bad that if you use the military to kill like 100,000 mothers or whatever, congrats, you've just lost the mandate of heaven. Uh, in a very serious way. And like, at that point, someone in the military is just going to say, if I shoot this guy who ordered the murder of 100,000 women that just wanted to eat, I get to be the next big guy and everyone's going to uh, hail me as a hero for slaying this insane psychopath. And so, man, this is the easiest promotion of my life. Like once you sort of embed that institutional life uh, logic, it's going to be a matter of days, maybe even hours before uh, someone accidentally drops a grenade into your lap. So, so like the, the point of the Okrana here was just to sort of say, like, this is what the system can take. And it's up to you guys to actually run this country to make sure that the bread gets where, where it's needed. Like, that's not the job of us spooks. It's not the job of the FBI to make sure that people have gas or that the lights are on. Like, we're not electricians. We are the ones telling you just how much you can sort of hit these people with a stick before you lose control. You kind of, you, you hit on this earlier. Like when the anarchists, what well, they, what did they really accomplish? They, they, like, they killed like one of the most liberal czars yeah. in Russian history, right? Like the guy who was like trying to, who was, who was trying to do liberal reforms. They killed him. Yeah. And, and so the thing is, that's, that's why you keep like these terrorists around and sort of say, Oh, well, you know, good luck. Don't kill the chief of the secret police, but maybe you can kill some like local lieutenants or whatever, because we don't like those guys. <laughs> but otherwise, Go hog wild, enjoy your killing. And, and like the guy, this Yevna chef guy that they paid, like he, he was literally in it because he thought it was fun. He thought it was fun to sort of plan assassinations and just murder people for the lulls. But yeah, like those people don't matter. What matters, what, what a secret police really does, and, and this is not a palantir, this is not a panopticon, like this is a really useful 
aid, let's just say. It's it's monitoring their own population and, and preventing these sorts of um, like pressure cooker explosions, which can happen if you mismanage your own empire too long. Like you need two things for the system to work. You need a really good secret police that's actually interested in the job. The Okrana was really interested in that job, by the way. And you need elites who are competent and willing to actually take those reports seriously. Like what the American like sort of secret police community, like all of these alphabet agencies have demonstrated is that they're really interested in doing essentially what the army does, which is we're going to buy this new F-45 and it's going to cost like 300 million a piece. Can it fly? No. Does it matter? Like it's a giveaway to Lockheed Martin and I'm going to be working at Lockheed Martin after I retire. Like you have the same dynamic, all of this sort of um, like all of this in, um, you know, surveillance through digital media and, you know, they can spy on your iPhone or whatever. Like a lot of that stuff, like the, 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 the big sort of thing that they've invested a ton of resources is in is just scrub like all the things that that's being said, like all of the data from the Internet. And, and they don't have nearly enough money because manpower is expensive to actually have people go through that like um, message by message for every American. So they're just sort of warehousing this stuff because, you know, servers are like there's someone's paycheck. And then they're going to say that. Then they're saying that, well, when once AI comes in, like in Deus Ex, we have Daedalus, which, you know, is made by the Illuminati to, to just monitor the entire Internet. Like once that happens, we're going to have the NSA Palantir. Like once we monitor everything with like that's ever said on the internet and use an AI, like we're gonna be totally in control. Actually, no. Even if you can do that, like all of that information sort of mastery, you sort of either have to do it have that mastery to one, as we just went over, uh, prevent people from building bombs, but that's not really important. Or two, find out where like the pressure cooker explodes. So, like, uh, I guess one way to think about it, so, like, imagine if you uh, if you fought World War II and you had, like, perfect information, you had, like, godlike, uh, omnipotent information of everything that happened, but uh, you don't have an army at all, uh, you're still going to lose. Like, so there's only so much that this monitoring that can actually do, right? I mean, so how much changing of mind, I mean, because really it, it, it's how much these, uh, you, maybe you can put like a certain outliers in jail, but you can't just like yeah. arrest a third of the population. Yeah, exactly. Like there's there's points in sort of these developments where you're really in checkmate. So even if this AI stuff actually worked, like it was actually a panopticon, spoiler alert, it's, it's not. It doesn't work other than sort of make this entire ecosystem for all of these contractors. You know, Edward Snowden, he worked for the NSA in theory, but he actually worked for Booz Allen, which yep. is a private company um, with, like, not that much oversight. And Snowden famously said that, like, you know, my bosses don't even know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, I could actually tap Obama's email and phone or whatever, and, like, my bosses wouldn't even find out. Uh, yeah, I said Panopticon. I meant Palantir, right? So Palantir yeah. is this... This uh, this Peter Thiel product they use, and this is supposed to be, you know, the, it's it's this magic thing that lets them know everything. <laughs> yeah, where does the name come from? Yeah, from Lord of the Rings. 
Yeah, what is the Darren in Lord of the Rings? Yes. I love how fucking nerdy that shit is. Yeah. It's great. Do you, you know, so, uh, so the Palantir product is used by the intelligence service. It's used by the military. You know who's the, you know who's the third customer of it? No. Nope. The, the uh, United States medical system. Interesting. You see, you see how well that works. Yeah. Uh, th- this is the same. This, you know, all it does is it gives them trends and stuff. It, it, yeah, but the, the thing, the, the big the problem for this, like, you know, the, oh, we're going to have the panopticon, we have the panther, yeah, I'm going to steer into the crystal ball, and we're going to find all the chuds and throw them in jail. The, the problem is, if you would have done that, what you would have needed to do is, like, the, the, the Mao move, which is, like, you did the hundred flowers can't you know thing where you say hey everybody i want you all to just speak as freely as you yeah. can and we'll let a hundred flowers bloom in school you know all this stuff will happen and it'll be great and then you after once they do that you find out who the dissidents are and you and you get them you can't do that anymore in america like for sure in america you could have done that 10 15 years ago you could have five years ago probably people thought like that you had free speech nobody people know now you got to keep your fucking mouth shut if you say something like if you have any opinion that goes against the the the, the rainbow blob you need to shut the hell up or you're going to get in trouble you're going to get fired you're going to get all kinds of social consequences you can get, like both of my parents have been banned from social media for like being too right wing on like politically yeah. like that, that that's i mean to us that's normal like to them, that's crazy. Like somebody can ban you and stop you from exercising your free speech on Facebook or Twitter. That's bullshit. But now they know what the deal is, and you can, so you could you could even do that if you wanted to. Because great example of this is when they do like these push polls and they ask people stuff, and they're yeah. saying like, "Wow, uh, there's a bit of huge a huge decrease in the number of people who will willingly." say this opinion that goes against the, our, our narratives like but like also at the same time like, we, we're getting a lot of people who refuse to answer questions well there you go yeah like this is the, this is the big thing so so even if we assume that like if you have the palantir by peter Thiel, you become omnipotent like if you play chess you can literally predict all of the moves that can ever be made and that's going to be made. And you, you have like this perfect vision, like a supercomputer, except, you know, much better than the actual chess playing supercomputers we have. Like you're literally God. I mean, what do you do if you have that godlike power and you're standing like o- watching over the shoulder of the actual player, which is Kamala Harris? who's playing chess, and you're saying, well, you know, I'm God. I know that if you move this piece here, and Kamala Harris just says, I don't care. Shut up. This thing that this Palantir came out of, it, it almost, you know, it almost sounds, it's kind of anachronistic now, because people almost don't remember it. There was this time when people thought, and this is not that long ago, This you think of like Nate Silver and stuff, and uh, things like prediction markets. People yeah. thought that like you could use like these little algorithms that would just tell the future. I, people, I, I think that that's their dream is gone, pretty much. I don't even think anyone believes that now. Yeah, and so so like the 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 Okrana didn't have godlike powers because there weren't Silicon Valley shucksters say like trying to defraud Russia at that point. Like they just had really good human intelligence on the level that far exceeds what the modern sort of American um, intelligence agencies have. Like, people who think that, yo, wow, you know, the modern FBI and NSA, like, these are just masters of the craft. Like, they, they, they know this stuff much better than anyone else. No, that's bullshit. That's like saying that, like, East German cars, you will never find better cars than those made in East Germany. No, 
actually they're kind of crappy, like or they were kind of crappy, which is why they're not made anymore. And and human intelligence, like this stuff, it doesn't change. Like there's no technology. There's like good sort of uh, routines and like institutional knowledge and so on. And and the the Russian Okrana worked really hard to really like get experience to build up a sort of military tradition like in Europa Universalis where you get a bunch of bonuses <laughs> if you have it at 100%. Like they they maybe weren't at 100 but a lot of these sort of eastern european secret services uh especially after you know like the soviets came in they were really good at what they did. Uh, and I'll I'll sort of mention another anecdote here uh, from from Eastern Germany this time to sort of give you an idea of like how much of a panopticon these societies were in a sense and and without any fancy equipment like in East Germany you had this sort of young I can't remember if he was a poet or like some sort of academic or whatever but like a bright kid and the Stasi the, the the German East German secret police they they had their eyes on this guy when he was like nineteen or whatever like he, he might be some sort of dreamer dangerous radical who might have like non state approved ideas so they kept their eyes on him but then they realized you know what's a really good way to keep their eyes on him it's to do the sort of almost um, the Truman Show thing so they actually found this guy a wife. <laughs> like obviously it wasn't like you know the secret police said here's your state mandated gf but like they found a woman who, who sort of sought him out and they married they had a bunch of kids and then like 20 or 40 years later like over the breakfast table or whatever he says something like you know i don't think communism is very good and she just goes <laughs> yeah i've got him oh my god damn so yeah he, he ends up going to jail you know what an ice cold bitch! Yeah, remember, remember when the when around the time Assange got arrested, there was that story about the there was like the the second like pretty much the second in command of Wicked who who got this who got this girlfriend who had suspicious ties to to like the CIA or whatever, yeah. and then I mean, uh, mysteriously within a month he accidentally deleted the entire uh, the the entire uh, WikiLeaks. Yeah, database and like, but like Julian Assange had a ba- had a backup, and uh, he straight up said like, "Hey, you know, if you had, if you, if I had put you in charge, you would have destroyed everything." Like, no shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, but but you have to really respect the game. Like that's just it's just such like almost superhuman to to have the human institutional capability to actually. You know, find someone who, um, and this is a lot harder for for women, obviously, than for guys. Like, it happens fairly regularly in the democratic West that you have, you know, police officers or whatever infiltrating, you know, left party stuff. And then they lead some double life and, and get some sort of leftist pregnant or whatever. And then, like, five years later, they find out that, oh, well, this guy was a cop. Damn. Like, a woman can't just sort of live a double life like that like you can't just show up and say oh you know i was away for work to your husband and then you just you're just pregnant and then like 
where did the kid go? Oh, don't worry about it. Like you know, <laughs> ten months with stretch marks. I've yeah. been gone so long. I've been yeah, <laughs> and like, the office. yeah, like don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Like no, you can't do that. Women can't do that. They can't live double lives like that. So they actually found someone who was willing to do like the Truman Show, but in real life, have someone's kids, and then just you know rat that guy out like twenty five years later or whatever. That's stone fucking cold. I don't trust the FBI or the NSA to be able to actually pull that stuff off, if I'm being honest. Like, I don't think they can. That's no. maybe not a good thing, but, like, you know, um, there's some real giants out there throughout history. Like, some really, really um, um, powerful in the evil sense here, people. I think that, I mean, so, uh, I, mean I just have, I have a kind of a conspiracy theory. So, everyone knows that... Uh, uh, some, there was a big tweet that blew up uh, like a week ago ago where a guy was posting um, all this stuff about how many Soviets have infiltrated the United States uh, government. Oh yeah, uh, it made me think of this. Like, didn't they invent this? Didn't wasn't Genghis Khan basically the first guy with like a a real modern uh, intelligence service? I, I was reading this about when he was uh, like uh, what it seemed like when he they were just steamrolling through uh, through through Europe, just killing everything. It, they he knew like in advance. Who was ready for him? Where was castles? Because they didn't want to. He didn't want to mess with castles. That uh, the, he had guys all through everywhere. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. But it, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. The Mongols actually had a lot of, to use the parlance of our times, human capital. That's how they won, essentially through like superior social organizations. Because if it was just you know a composite bows or whatever, like everyone could just make them more or less it wasn't anything particularly special so i don't know like it it, it it could it could be true like it wouldn't be um sort of it wouldn't beggar belief if it was true but I, but I the think, point here just I about the people, stasi i think people realize so like uh, it's sort of common knowledge that right now in the in the fbi and the cia that there is at least a mormon cell that's sort of like they're not they don't have any like particular thing that they're up to they're just sort of there oh, to yeah. monitor to make sure that they don't go after the mormons there's uh there used to be a scientology when the scientology like raided their supplies and stuff but th the thing that you get the impression of and you know so obviously people would do that for the soviets i think there were people that were still loyal to the soviet union uh in like these sleeper positions uh even after like the soviet union died uh, that sounds crazy but yeah no yeah, one sure. would do that for us, but they would do that for like the Mormon Church, the Scientology. Like there is, we don't have that kind of dream anymore. Yeah, sure. Like that's that's kind of the problem because even though like the Stasi was probably like the Platonic ideal of a well-run and like really intimidating yeah. intelligence service, like they couldn't prevent the fall of the Berlin Wall. They just stood to one side and said, "Yep, this isn't our problem." Sorry, the state is collapsing. We tried to help, but you didn't listen to us. So goodbye and thanks for the fish. Bogbeef, you're you're wrong and you're demonstrably wrong. Yes, we did produce all kinds of those people. Uh, we just shipped like a hundred thousand of them from Afghanistan to here. You know who those people are? They're shit libs. Yeah, that's true. They would and do betray their own people, their religion, whatever, to, to get a chance to like to come and live in the. Uh, big great big rainbow empire I, I think we do produce lots of people which is they're not what we would <laughs> what we would prefer that's yeah. like global class war uh <laughs> kind of explanation yeah. there yeah and so so like now that we've sort of concluded that all of this technology stuff like palantir 
sort of surveillance over the internet. Like this is just maybe a new thing to new way to do a thing that's that's not new. Sure, it's more efficient, but whatever, who cares? Like the old inefficiency, it doesn't really matter. You kind of feel like we've we've reached that limit on a lot of different things where yeah. it's like we 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 we've we've gotten all the e- like the easy advancements out of the way like you know like, when, when i was when i was a kid uh in comp- like i was in the computers in the in the like early 90s and like you, if you would if you would buy a modem in 1990 or whatever by the time 1991 ro- rolled around like you were one or two generations behind yeah. like, the rate of advancement for for technology has slowed down. The the rate of social technology slowed down. Well, if we're talking about cultural, well, nothing's been produced since like 1998. So you know, yeah, like the the social technology is a lot more important here than the sort of like the 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 physical technology. Like the physical technology, it's it's an aid, like it's a bonus. But the social technology, if you don't have that, like nothing else matters. Again, this is why I say it doesn't matter if you have godlike precognition and know all the chess moves. Like if Kamala Harris says, Who the fuck are you to talk to me? Are you implying that I don't know how to play chess and just, you know, plays, does whatever she wants? None of that matters. Like it, it's literally irrelevant. The, the, the Okrana, they called the Russian revolution. They said it's going to happen. Like you can do these things to prevent it. If you don't do it, it's going to happen like within this time span. And they were right about their guesses too. But it didn't matter because nobody like paid any attention. Like they, the people that were ruling the empire said, Oh no, dude, it's fine. It's totally fine. We're going to rule forever because like people can <laughs> just live off patriotic love for the emperor. Like, I don't see what people are complaining about. We all had a huge fail, intelligence failure with Afghanistan yeah. very recently. Do you, do you think that that was uh, the intelligence services fucking up and not see it coming or the senile political leadership not listening to them? I mean, a bit of both. And and I see a lot of people making doing this sort of motivated reasoning, going like, well, you know, the CIA is omnipotent. Like, it's so fucking incredibly based in an evil way, which I hate. But, like, you can't deny that they're gods, like superheroes from the Marvel Universe. But here is their kryptonite. Like, these people who are illiterate goat farmers... And, you know, their magical powers don't work on illiterate goat farmers, but they do work on Americans. They're, they're like, incredibly powerful. <sighs> you really have to pick that argument apart. Are we saying that, like, illiterate goat farmers are actually superior beings to, you know, red-blooded Americans, like some sort of superhumans, so that... And, and Americans are ordinary mortals. Because usually when you call someone an illiterate goat farmer, you're implying that that guy is pretty much stupid and you can run rings around him. If you were a really competent security agency or like um, intelligence agency, you'd find out a way to talk to illiterate goat farmers. I mean, like it's not impossible. The goat farmers themselves have figured that shit out. The Taliban did. Yeah. Like it's not impossible. You just didn't do it. And again, you didn't do it because you're not actually like immortal or sort of omnipotent. You're just too, like you don't have your shit together. Like you can't even find people who speak the lo- local dialect. I think the I think the reason why this happens is that people have this like uh, like deadliest warrior uh, mindset of how conflicts happen. They're like, yeah. oh, 
uh, like, you know, you just grab these things out of context and you just drop them against each other because like, yeah. do they have the tools to do all this stuff? First off, do they, you know, do they have, could they like theoretically, could a thing like them with the, with certain tools, uh, sort of accomplish this? Yeah, I guess. But like, that's not even like what they're playing like, because that they can't, like, here's an example. So like, you know, these, these things we were talking about before that, like, uh, you know, these paranoid U.S. presidents would, like, reorganize the secret police, uh, you know, as soon as they get in the office, they're worried about this and that. Uh, they're not even, like, at the step where they're, like, they're not even doing that to, like, you know, protect the state against the citizens yeah. or revolution. Uh, they're, like, fighting, like, th- that's, like, uh, you know, internal to the, the that, that would be, like, you know, the czar worried about his brother. It doesn't really matter. It wouldn't matter even if the CIA was competent at this stuff, which there's really nothing to inspire a lot of confidence. Like, I'm sorry to say, like you can do it and it can be sort of an, a tenet of faith, like no matter what, like it's it's not proven, but I really believe in, in, in God because God, he's the chief of the CIA. Like that, that's what the, uh, the Lord does. And Jesus, I guess he heads up the FBI. And I really believe in that. And, you know, more power to you. I respect people who have deeply held beliefs. Like, even if it's it's true, it doesn't really matter. Because again, like the a secret police, it's like a wrench or something. Like it's a tool. If you have someone who doesn't know how to be an electrician, like you can buy him a pretty expensive toolbox and it's not going to amount to anything. And the American elite, like people, again, because they think that Lenin's idiot brother who says i'm gonna build a bomb because this is really gonna change things i don't know how it's gonna change things but it's gonna usher in some new utopia or whatever like they think that that sort of stuff matters and so they think that like well you know if we have a secret police that stops that or you know stops people who think seditious thoughts there's really nothing anyone can do and, and, and they look at all this censorship on the internet. Like, I say all of these based things about, uh, I don't know, trannies or, or gay marriage or so, whatever. Whoops, now I got banned. I guess the revolution is over now because people like me who have really strongly held ideas about politics have now been silenced. And that means that the sheeple, that is the American people, like they're <laughs> not going to be laboring under my inspired leadership. So they're going to be just, you know walking around like aimlessly for another thousand years no that's not how it works like anyone who who sort of cares about politics in that way is actually irrelevant like completely irrelevant to to like these sort of popular uprisings insurrections these things have everything to do with people waiting in bread lines and nothing to do with like what's said on the university or in base like group shots on Twitter or whatever. There, there's, there's two problems I think people, like, and I mean everybody has, like, because, because for one thing, we're we were fed this conception of how of how like politics and revolution works. That's it's it's pretty much bullshit, right? Yeah. We can we can all agree. Like, like especially if you were involved in like left politics at any point in time, you got you got like the the steroid version of this. Like, yeah. you, you were you were fed a load of bullshit. But like, but this is this is true of every American, pretty much. I would say like this is this is part of the diet we were fed after the '60s. So whatever. But my point was the the first mistake is that people underestimate 
how bad things have to get before people will start to behave in these ways. Like, uh, we're, I don't want to say we're not, we're not close to that because you never know, but like, it that really doesn't feel that. Like, if you're an American right now, you have a very good standard of living. Uh, the shit that's happening around us, it's annoying. Uh, I guess maybe you could say this applied more pre-bat flu than now because they, they really have fucked around yeah. with our standard of living. But like, in general, we're not, we're not, we're not Russia 1917. By any, by any means. The second thing that mistake people make is the idea, like, they seem to think that this is a matter of, well, will, will 60, 70% of the people want to overthrow the government? Cause that's what you need. That's not what you need at all. Like, that's never been true. It's like a vanishingly small percentage of the population can get fed up and cause incredible havoc because most people will just go along with whatever seems like the best idea at the time. Yeah, and, 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 and the figures, the figures, like, you, you basically need two components on, on sort of, like, who is interested in insurrection. First, you need sort of disgruntled elites. And again, the US is a pretty good, like, in terms of sort of the Tinder here, it's, it's really good. Like, the, the, it's optimal conditions almost. Because again, the US is a federal structure and these libs who, who represent really parasitical class like at one point these people were useful but now they're really not so they can only sort of subsist by making society worse like they're gonna disappear every class that's like that disappears sooner or later what they're doing right now is just fighting tooth and nail to sort of live another day well that tooth and nail fight is gonna trample on like you can't keep this uh federal structure like you just can't and again, because like these people are parasitical, like as things get worse and as their depravity gets worse, they're gonna like destroy the. Um, it's gonna be a sort of economic so- soil erosion almost. So for every year that this stuff goes on, there's gonna be less of the pie to go around, and sooner or later, that sort of shrinking pie dynamic is gonna get like people who get thrown off, the thrown out of the elite or sort of displaced to go, you know, I can actually do something about me getting kicked out if I turn somewhere else and find enough muscle to turn the tables on these people. Like, what if instead of eliminating me, we eliminate them? The purge. Yeah, like the U- <laughs> the, the U.S. is almost purpose-built. Like, you know, one of these... Um, um, you know, one of these anti-tank grenades that have this sort of hollow, which, for reasons of physics, basically forces, like, the power of the explosion into, like, a tightly concentrated jet. Um, yeah, like, these high-explosive anti-tank warheads, they work, they can pierce tanks just because, like, the, the, the structure of the explosion is such that all the energy just goes, like, into a fairly small spot. And, and obviously, like, you can take a lot more explosives and just detonate it next to a tank, and it will do nothing. But again, if you build it the right way, you don't need a lot of explosives to pierce a tank. And the U.S. federal system, it's basically channeling these sorts of conflicts into... Um, situations where you will have a lot of disgruntled elites who will have some sort of they will know how to use the levers of the institutional power but 
you'll have the libs will have to get rid of them anyway. So it's not it's not a good situation in that sense. But then the other component is you need some sort of popular uh, discontent and and people who go to like academic study groups like they don't really matter if if you're lucky or if they are lucky I guess they can fill the role of like some of these sort of elites who will have to be disgruntled disgruntled but like the actual sort of mass muscle out on the streets these are people who don't really care about politics. Like, if they are on Twitter, they just post cat pictures because they don't give a fuck. They don't care about based integralism or, like, yeah. whatever else. Like, people who care about that stuff are, like, they don't really matter. They, they, well, they, Bob Beef brought this up a lot when we were looking at those protests in Portland that, that you would see the mugshots of these people. And, you know, like, it wasn't, like, grad students all getting arrested there's a bunch of like like you know homeless lump and prototypes yeah. like like you, you could they weren't they're not there because they, they they've been studying philosophy for the last 20 years oh yeah uh, like but lump and proles are one thing but but like soccer moms are the real like they're the real final boss here there's there's <laughs> this is uh i've got a, a little unpopular thing to, to float here because i think it fits uh, so there's this thing that's happened. There's been several people that are sort of like big political theorists. They're sort of like game theory, like how they would take over the United States, or you know what, what or or uh, I don't even necessarily mean that in like a brutal way, but like who they would like uh, uh, run for president in terms of like uh, they're like a uh, you know who would who would you puppet is, is your guy, uh, especially Mulbuck. Uh, uh, he said, well, uh, you know, I think I would do Elon Musk. People go nuts, right? Because they say, like, well, listen to what he says about the economy. Like, why would you use, why would you do Elon Musk? Elon Musk is thinks this and this. And it's like, no, like, you don't understand, like, what the point of, like, the politician, the guy is. Like, what do they, what do, what do they think of Elon Musk? First off, they know that, uh, uh, do you see how many people listen to his, his, his Rogan interview? It was like, like 80 million. Like, Jesus, th this is like bigger than any person in politics. Second off, like, what's he do for a living? He basically like rich people to give him money. Th these, this is like two highly uh, skilled things that you would use to put together like someone who runs. It has nothing to really do with like um, them being like a, uh, like a tactical genius uh, of, of this kind of thing. Uh, and that's how uh, it's a small point there in terms of uh, like how much it really matters, whether you how much you think about politics or what the people think and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you don't need a philosopher king. You need that. You need a, a, a slick lawyer. Yeah, I mean, philosophers kind of do have their uses, but it's a very like limited tactical use. But but here's the thing, like the real muscle of the revolution of, of any sort of real insurrection that's like really dangerous to regime regime. It's soccer moms. Like I'm not. I'm not saying that as some sort of irony or whatever. No. Like it's 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 ordinary women who yeah. would only go on Facebook to post cat pictures or whatever. Who have kids, and who don't like to see their kids starve. Yeah. Have you seen? Have anybody seen these videos? Like out of like every state in the country, even California, like you know, super liberal California. There are these moms who are going to the uh, school board meetings, and they're just fucking terrorizing yeah. these these evil school board bureaucrats. Like you, you can you can see them. There's a nonstop stream of them. Like yeah, they they are the <laughs> the most based people on the planet in some ways. Yeah, and and you can't really do anything about them. You can only write reports. This is why, like, I I stress this sort of distinction between the two tasks of a secret police 
Because again, like you can't actually control Facebook to make these people not mad because they only post cat pictures or whatever. They don't need to use Facebook to coordinate because they're not like political sort of narcissists. And like if their kids are starving, um, they're going to talk to each other when they meet at someone's home or at the workplace or whatever and say, you know, I, I really don't like that my kids are starving. And the more they say that, the more they're going to sometimes or like eventually do something about it so you can't really like censor these people by controlling the digital panopticon like even discounting the fact that this palantir or panopticon is a crock of shit that doesn't work and exists just to sort of graft money from uncle sam like even if it did exist even if the fucking orb from forged by the uh, like sauron himself even if you had that like it doesn't matter. These people are immune to it. And then again, you can't really... Like, the methods these people use to communicate, which is, you know, when they meet each other, you can't really outlaw that. Like, you can try to say, well, you know, from now on, mothers are not allowed to talk to anyone. Good luck enforcing that. Like, seriously. You're basically just sort of uh, fast-tracking this so social collapse that you're trying to prevent. That's funny because I made, uh, you know, I wouldn't even think I was making. I made fun of this article that it was came out like a, uh, a few days ago that said it, it, they showed uh, there was a big picture of these. There were these moms that were raging out at these these uh, local government PTA meetings and shit, and um, and it said that, that like uh, basically these kinds of people are a threat to democracy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and and like. If we just accept the spirit in which this argument was made, which is a threat to our power, like, that's completely true. But then the age-old question comes, like, what the fuck are you going to do about it? Like, seriously, what are you going to do about it? When they say democracy, they mean, like, progressive yeah. politics. Like, progressive the regime. Pro yeah, like, yeah, exactly. But I, but I think it goes a little bit further than that. Like, it's not just the regime because the regimes can, regimes can change over time. Like, they, they mean this very specific attitude toward the like, material, like materialist attitude towards life. Yeah, sure. You, 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 you're not allowed, you're not allowed, like, there's no room for actual democracy. Like, I, I know that we, like, the, you know, we're smart and cynical people. We've been talking about politics for a long time. We know this, but like, uh, boomers didn't know it. Yeah. But I think they're, they're starting to come around on it now. Like the, when, when they talk about democracy, they're not talking about the same shit that you learned in your civics class in fifth grade. This is kind of, I wrote about this and, and about, you know, the anti-CRT stuff. I think that a lot of people on the right looked at these angry moms and said, oh, well, great, these people are becoming based. They're reading, I don't know, Evola or something, because that's why they're defending Western civilization. No, they're not. They're defending their kids. This is a force of nature, more or less, in, in, in the context of politics. When a tsunami comes in, you can move out of the way or you can stay and drown. Like, you can't say, oh, well, you know, Mr. Tsunami, please read my book. Like, it doesn't work that way. Like, the people who actually become sort of successful revolutionaries are the ones who um, correctly guess, okay, so, like, these people, this boiled frog, is he's had enough. The pressure cooker, cooker is about to explode. Uh, let me show up when this stuff goes down and say, well, I have a better solution. Like, I can get your kids bread. And here's the thing. Revolutionaries are usually a ton, like, they're much, much worse 
than secret police agents at figuring out just when things are going to pop off. Like, they're much, much worse. Um, But generally, successful revolutions, like, that doesn't really matter because people have stopped listening to the the secret police agents and, and they don't really care. And this is actually, like, people might think that I'm saying here that, you know, the CIA, the NSA, all of that stuff, you know, social media censorship, it's not going to matter in the US. Like, this is a paper tiger, like Mao said about US nuclear weapons. But that's not what I'm saying at all. Like, I would never dream of making the argument that this is going to do nothing today. In fact, it's not going to do nothing. It's going to actually... Um, sort of accelerate, aggravate this sort of rev- trend towards things falling apart. And here's why. The point of um, social media censorship, if you really think about it, it's not actually to prevent soccer moms from going to school go- boards because that stuff doesn't work, obviously. Um, but the point of this censorship, and, and this is what people generally don't want to contemplate, The point of this censorship is not to sort of prevent ordinary people from listening to other ordinary people. It's to prevent elites from having to listen to ordinary people. Like this censorship, it's like one of those joke guns where, you know, you you hold it, but like the actual sort of barrel is pointing at you. So the gun is only useful for shooting yourself. Like this is what Twitter censorship essentially is. Most of it seems to be motivated by. Uh, so I know somebody that had like a. Uh, he had a little Discord server, and the main reason he was mad is you know he would he had a little window open, he would type in his like you know thoughts to to talk about on his videos or whatever, and it was censored. They said it was for being right wing or whatever. Uh, basically, it was because like you know some individual mod was was mad that like uh, you know he said something about a, a certain YouTuber or something. I think you find like a huge amount of this stuff, like really like basis it's based on stuff like that. Yeah, but but in general, when this stuff is coordinated from the highest levels, like the actual point of it in, in a way is to protect the sensibilities of libs. It's libs going, Oh my god, I hate fifty percent of my own country. These people are degenerates. I don't want to hear to listen about to them whining about there not being water in Flint. Like someone should tell these peasants to shut the fuck up, or at well, least remove them from my sight. They made it pretty clear. I mean, I told. I mean, I was like, it seemed like you could pretty much like say like, uh, uh, you know, mind comp stuff before you could say something related to a uh, a drug with starts with an I. And then yeah. Joe Rogan yeah. comes out, and, and uh, everybody in the world saw that. Every normie I know, well, not every normie, three people told me, hey, did you see the Joe Rogan video where he says he took this drug with the eye, starts the eye, and now he's cured? Yeah, I mean, look, like all of this stuff, it's actually, it's designed to insulate the elite from the growing complaints of the people below them who are saying, you know, America ain't looking so good, fam. Maybe we should do something about it, and they they're just like, "Oh my God, blocked!" But it's it's too much work for them to <laughs> block them individually. So they just go, "What if we blocked all people who said this?" So I didn't have to pretend that this opinion exists. This is one of the first things that when, I, when we started really uh, talking about politics online uh, instead of just talking to each other, Bog Beef and I, like we noticed this 
really like really early on, right? Like it, it for them, it's not a matter of well, we we need our space to do this or, or that, or this is a better way. Like this has to be the only thing that exists in the world. Yeah. Like, if 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 there, if if there's a a tiny corner of the planet that's not like completely controlled by by libs, then the whole project is in danger, and it's a it's a dire threat to our existence. And I I used to think like that, that was cynical, but I don't think that anymore. I think they I think not only do they believe that they're right, like essentially that if you if you're allowed to do your own thing. And you're allowed to create this this alternative that people can see. You are a existential threat to what they're doing, and they they have to destroy. They have to make you. They have to destroy. You. They have to stop you from doing that. Yeah, I mean, look, these people pretend to like that. That's their line, but in reality, like if you actually fought that and were like cynical, like a power grabber. You'd basically say, "Well, we need to keep tabs on all of these shuds." Down to some cafeteria in Apple, like Valley, California, or something. Like we have to keep tabs on every street corner. We have to have one of our guys at every like NASCAR, you know, watching like home party or whatever. Like if there's five guys in Alabama watching NASCAR, one of them has to be our guy. But that's not really what they're doing. Like, they're not really interested in that. Like, they, they have this sort of baby conception of, of reality where if you close your eyes, like, the universe literally gets destroyed. And so if you can just close your eyes to everything, like, the universe stops existing. This is not the first time an elite has done this, by the way. Um, and if the Russian elite, which is, in this case, like, Tsar Nicholas II and his wife hadn't been like really committed to this strategy, the Bolsheviks would probably just be a historical footnote at this point. Because they 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 actually went into like the, the twenty early twentieth century version of censoring Twitter, in the sense that you have all of these spooks writing up these reports. This isn't looking very good, Chief. You can keep going like this for maybe five years, but after five years I can't guarantee that the regime will be stable. And they just go, oh, my God, someone fired this guy. Like, I can't believe that he said this to me. And they'd fire him. And then, you know, they'd find a new guy who's, who would tell them, oh, well, everything's great. But then as things got worse, he started going, oh, my God, I like this isn't looking very good, Chief. I may be an incompetent psychophant, but even I know that, like, things are looking pretty bad right now. You might want to consider some reports or reforms, <laughs> and then they go, oh my god, someone fired this guy. And, and they did, and found someone else. And then eventually they sort of ran out of people who they actually could talk to, who wouldn't go, things are really bad, you need to do something. So what they did, like for the last sort of half a year or so, is that they just isolated themselves. Like they didn't meet people, because everyone was just telling them things not looking good. Yeah. And um, they couldn't even find people to, like, sort of lie to them. Uh, they had, like, one minister actually um, writing up sort of fake reports saying that the entire country loved them, except for people in Petrograd. 
Uh, and he just gave them these reports. And, and so he didn't get fired because he told them what they wanted to hear. At, at the point where like their entire sort of imperial family was plotting to overthrow them. They didn't plot fast enough. But just to get these people out before a revolution happened. Yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to Russia, like this is kind of a lesson that might be applicable to the current day. Uh, the, 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 I think the problem with the Romanovs was like the, you getting into like, uh, maybe Russia didn't start World War One, but like Russia enthusiastically joined yeah. World War One. And, and, the, and it, it, a lot of the origins of the war is like the idea that Russia was an ascendant power. It was going to become one, it was one of the, you know, the greater powers of Europe. It was going to become one of the dominant continental powers. You know, after Tannenberg, that wasn't going. That wasn't going to happen anymore. However, to 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 do what the Czar would have had to done to maintain his position would have essentially been admitting that, like, no, this is. I'm sorry, we fucked up. We're going to be a second-rate power forever. This is it. You know, we 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 have to we're going to make peace with the with the Germans and try to go back and lick our wounds. They weren't willing to do that, and I think that historically, man, you see that a lot. And, yeah. You know, hey, look look at where we're at right now in 2021 with the United States. We're not ready to admit that like that that the the days of the lone superpower are you know are over. We're not we're not willing to admit that you know that the there's a life cycle for empires and for peoples, and we're just we we're not there yet, and that's why we keep having shit happening like like we have with Afghanistan. What about yeah. this? I think we may be already there yet. Maybe not as specifically in foreign policy, but so this th- this is true that at one point, and by the way, communism had this too. So communism had this. This is normally associated with Trotsky. That basically Trotsky said that like you have to like conquer the world because otherwise uh, there's this very real thing that like if you run a communist country and next door they don't then like all your doctors and stuff will just go over there right and you'll you'll be you'll be educating these people for free right? <laughs> which, is, which is really funny because like you would think well maybe there's a structural problem here why yeah. are all the, the best people trying to escape well escape no it's country? not that i mean so like what about all the people that like uh you know the soviet union gave normal poor people like these awesome science educations and they're like oh come on man gee thanks for thanks for this free education now i'm gonna take this somewhere else where it would have cost yeah more. that's a structure that's a structural problem if, right, right. if you're that's what trotsky like, said he said so therefore we have to take over the whole world. Now, in liberalism, you have the same thing. This is that Karl Popper quote, right? It's like uh, yeah, you, you yeah. have to destroy. And so I, I do believe that, especially before Trump, there was this in the ascendant, like uh, end of history thing. They, well, they wanted but, 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 to brainwash you. They want to brainwash me. They want to brainwash yeah. us. After Trump, uh, there be, this this is something you see a lot is that, like whenever you know when the the when like uh, when they're closing in on the bunker and wars and stuff when people know they've lost. Uh, what they you, normally what you start seeing is like, uh, well, they just start shooting the hostages and stuff. All that's left is vengeance. I think after Trump, they don't really believe that they can like uh, necessarily brainwash Ooh. everyone, everyone yeah. anymore. That oh oh for sh- that that's for sure. Like they think that well, what we the the hundred year project to to convert uh, assimilate everyone re- the recon- final reconstruction has failed. So now we're going to have like your, your good buddy Noah uh, Noah Smith. Just yes. straight up said it, like, "Hey, we're going to have to just come in and just start fucking fucking murking some people." However, the dream that's is a dead. Different... Well, no, I do believe that's it the... is, but but I, I can't prove it or anything. Oh, but that's my right. that's what I believe. But like, if we're, we're we're looking for a historical parallel of this in in the 1930s, there's a guy who's like, "Things are bad, and if we get rid of these people, we can we can fix them." 
that's different than the position, you know, uh, seven, eight years later when he's in the, when he's in the bunker and like, you know, yeah. uh, do they, I don't think that, yeah, but they know that they can't put everyone in prison. I, I think, I really believe that the dream is dead when yeah, happened I mean, with Trump. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to sort of split the difference here. I think both of you are, are correct in a sense that like on the official level and I guess on like the level of, you know, successful man, successfully managed cognitive dissonance, these people still believe that, oh, we can win the shuds. They're, they're just, you know, dinosaurs or whatever. Don't mind the fact that these people from the year 600, which they're not, like the Taliban are horribly mo- modern. Uh, but even if we assume that, which everyone does, that the Taliban just stepped out of a time machine from the year like 750 or whatever, like you lost to them. So maybe this history, march of history thing isn't true. Like, sure, they believe that that, that narrative officially. But like all of the stuff that Bogbeef's talking about, like them becoming sort of violent and unpredictable and sort of eliminationist and so on, like that's them trying to handle the fact that like they really have to sus- like suspend mm-hmm. their disbelief to keep this going, which they didn't ten years ago. Yeah, they're they're, they're trying to get Sh- uh, Steiner on the phone to bring his his core in to help. I guess that's a good point. The people who are in the bunker usually don't realize they're in the bunker. You know, like yeah. at the time, like you, 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 there's still one more move you can make. There's still one more thing we can do, and, and you know. When it comes to the the rhetoric, like there, it's getting. I think was I think maybe Warren himself said like podcast. Uh, sorry, the video we just did with Warren. He's like, you know, there there are people who are powerful people in the government who are saying things that are vaguely eliminationist. Yeah, right? like that's you know that's that's new. But it's not confident. No, I, no, I, I agree. But then again, you know. You could have like everything that we're saying now. You could have said in 1866, right? Like, like, and, and you can't. You can pull out of these spirals. However, it requires a that everybody has like, a vision of the future that's that's like prosperous and good, and b the people who are, who have power have to say, okay, we need to step back and and change things up and do it differently because this is not working. Yeah, and I don't think that I don't think it, neither of those apply now. Yeah, exactly. Like. um the problem here, and the problem with Nicholas II, I suppose, is that it's just this sort of stubbornness coupled with incompetence. Like, you can't give up any ground, but you, you kind of know that you're, you're too weak to hold this particular hill. But you keep staying there and just getting, like, destroyed because, no, it's yeah. in God's hands or whatever. Like, this is the march of history. And, and this ties into this latest... This this Texas thing, which kind of made the other shoe drop for me. Like, I had been somewhat sanguine that, like, there was still some sort of sliver of daylight and trying to avoid, like, the spiral. But the reactions to um, Texas, the abortion law, really, really drives the point home that, no, like, nobody's going to back out of this. Because here is the thing. Fighting a war against your own people or even like, you know, oppressing them enough that you don't have to fight them. Like that's a full time fucking job for a organized elite. You can't just sort of 
half-ass that and say, oh, well, it's going to work out somehow. No, that's how you lose. Like, you have to do real serious planning, real actual, like, competent execution. And you really need to think about this stuff if you want to be a successful tyrant. Like, many, many people end up as unsuccessful tyrants and they get killed. Um and and uh, we usually don't think about like all of the losers who just get like forgotten by history because they're just too weak and irrelevant to really be tyrants. But but here is the problem with the U.S. Like you have all of you have the blue tribe and the red tribe, right? And they are sort of growing further and further apart. And the blue tribe is becoming more and more eliminationist in this really stupid, like irresponsible way. I don't think I've, and and I try to follow like the American right in a serious manner. I can't think of anyone who's like forwarded the opinion that, you know, someday soon we're going to ban abortion in California. Like, I don't No. Maybe there's one person in the United States who actually thinks that, but like, no, that's not really what anyone is, is trying to fight over. It's just, we have our place and we have our sort of social mores and whatever. Like you in California, you can offer up sort of unborn children to mammon or whatever. There's, there's nothing we can do about that. But at least like let us have this, this state where like we can decide like what's, what's right and wrong. And the libs are basically saying, no, no, you can't have that. No, no way in hell. I think I think it's over, and I, I think of it in in terms of like an economic function. So like, um, if you if like if you think about the Soviet Union in 1975, and like in terms of like like do you believe in this thing? So like the Soviet Union in 1975, even if it doesn't quite look as good as it did in in 1954, you still got there's still like even if it's totally fake, there's still this potential upside that. The Soviet Union could still take over the world. They're, they're doing stuff in Africa. They're doing yep. stuff over here. Like and so like this what this what this means is like this is like a uh, like this stock could go up if you look at if you look at this like uh, and there could be room for me and so like if you look at this this thing that's like the let's say the federal government like are there going to be a lot more slots open tomorrow? For more people, is this going to be? No. Is, is the interest rate going up, or this? This is a uh, what do they say? This they're going to have a, 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 a increasing share of a of a declining of a, of a declining property. This is yeah. like this isn't going to. Everyone knows like this stock isn't going to go up anymore. Like yeah. so, how, where so how how do you get loyalty? How do you draw new people in? It's over. It's it's going to be slow, but it's it's over. Yeah, the, here, here's the thing: like to to sort of stay on the Texas example because it ties into to to this logic and this this like why it's essentially over. Um, if 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 Alib was part of this conversation, they'd probably like you know attack me as being some sort of fascist. Like, oh, you you you're only saying that like the Texas the Lib reaction to the Texas thing is a problem because you think that abortion should be outlawed. And like, no, that like what I think doesn't really matter. I'm not a Texan. I'm not like part of the polity. I don't think that people should it's a workable model to have some random fucker in Sweden going, well, I think this, this is why 
this state with X amount of, you know, tens of millions should do this. Like, no. Um, so, like, for the sake of argument, maybe I believe all abortion should be outlawed and, you know, women should be fired into with a cannon into the sun. Or maybe I think that, you know, sacrificing live babies to mammon is great. Or, you know, abortion... Like, it should be unlimited. Moms should be able to kill their children at any time. But that's not the problem. This is not a question of what is right or even, like, what we think. Here we have a situation where you have a federal state made up of, like, different components with, like, different sort of political views and regional identities and so on. And you're essentially saying that, well, we're going to abolish this system because, like, these people don't think like us. And we're going to replace it with something that will not have any legitimacy in their eyes. Because <laughs> by, yeah. repla- by saying, well, Texas can't do this, um, we are going to undermine the sort of, like, um, le- legitimating stories about sort of democracy and states' rights and so on that actually um, keeps the the existence of America, like, it, it preserves it. Like, America doesn't exist if nobody believes in it. And these t- states that you're trying to take over, like, they need to believe in these things to actually believe they belong to the same polity as you. Like, this is a question of force at this point, and the libs don't have enough force. Yeah, every time this comes up, uh, and... and- we, we talked about it before the, you know, the TikTok videos of this lady soldier who said, like, she's going to, you know, uh, squash you like bugs and, you know, no. just ready to cut a promo on middle America. Uh, you know, you, if you, if you're in West, you're West Virginia, you're a 90 minute drive down Interstate 76 to like to Fairfax County, Arlington, uh, DC <laughs> to the heart, to the heart of the empire. You're, you're 90 minutes away in a pickup truck with an AR. <laughs> With an yeah. AR-15. Look, uh, uh, what are you going to do? You're going to turn the whole fucking beltway into a green zone? No, you're not going to do that. You cannot. You cannot fucking do that. Like this, this, the whole system relies on not just the people like inside DC, like this tiny coterie of people who run things. It, it's like, there's like five to ten percent of the population who who this works for, and in in this and under those parameters, it can't work for them. They cannot have the lifestyle that they want. Yeah, and, and when, when the country's like that, and again, like the, the spooks themselves have sort of bought into this, you know, low bro, like real low concept idea of like how how you run a tyranny. Like, you know, sure, you can have this green zone around the capital or whatever, but, like, all of these people inside of Congress are just generally, with a few exceptions, they're eminently replaceable. Like, why spend all of these resources sort of trying to protect them, their mediocrities? Like, their lives, you could kill all of them and just say, well, we're going to elect new members to Congress, and the U.S. would not be significantly, like, worse-led. What what is actually the danger is not even someone from Virginia taking an R-15 and just driving in and shooting Nancy Pelosi. Like, you know, Nancy Pelosi can be replaced. Like, this is not how regimes fall. It, they fall because, like, the sort of links between the different parts of the entire empire, like, they stop, they break down, they stop working. Like, and and... What you actually need to do in order to sort of, again, 
like this abortion thing it's not the end of the world it's not the biggest thing but but these things have a have a tendency to snowball um if you look at all of the revolutions in south america they they generally don't start um being about the same things as they like you know where they end so revolutions start by some like upper class people saying i really love the spanish empire but they should let us who are super rich people who are born in the new world actually work as governors like that's all we need and then the spanish crown says no like you have to be an import from from spain in order to be a governor because that's how we ensure loyalty and these really rich people say oh well okay it's time to pronounce a republic until you change your minds and they trigger a civil war and then you know you have this cycle of atrocities so like 20 years of people killing each other means that any sort of reconciliation is impossible you can start with people saying just change this really really small thing we are you know literally cousins you and i i just think it's unfair that people born in the new world even though like we belong to the same family that i can't have this job you know keeping the peasants in line and collecting taxes like that's all i want and then someone says no and they fight it out and you know one thing leads to another like you can lose an entire empire by just saying no to that really small thing and so yeah abortion is a small thing that should not necessarily make you go oh well there's no problem then because you can say no to that and then maybe someone does something stupid like you know try to resist then you say oh well now the hammer really has to come down and that leads to something else which leads to something else and suddenly like the invisible bonds that keep the american like the idea of a united states of america together like that's just gone once it's gone it's never coming back just as like what 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 the spanish generals realized towards the end of all of this different sort of wars in south america is that even if you sent in like robocop or whatever or or you know a million spaniards and just killed like in administrative massacres 80 million of the population or 80% of the entire population it would just be a matter of time before you had another war of independence because like these people don't really even identify with us anymore. Like we've gone from being their brothers or like, you know, being part of the same group to just being hostile aliens to them. All of this fighting over 20 years have, have it's like radioactivity that's poisoned the soil for 40,000 years. Like there's no point. These things always start small. So, but but if you actually want to prevent some sort of like real um, trouble down the road, what you read, what American elites need to do now is not put up like fences around Congress, staffed by National Guard units. They they need to abolish the National Guard yesterday, preferably. People were making all of these like really ide- idiotic like posts when they when they looked at this sort of debacle in Washington after January the 6th. They, they were saying stuff like, wow, these guys are really fat. And that means Americans are fat, and that means there's never going to be any sort of insurrection because fat people can't do that. And, and, you know, way to miss the point. 
Like, these people are fat because they're not the Varangian Guard. They're a citizen militia. If you're part of the National Guard, you I, I don't know the exact details, but it's like you, you spend one weekend per month sort of training, and then you spend one month per year, like, really training or whatever. But, but the rest of that, your, your, your life is spent outside of the National Guard. Am I, am I correct about this? Yeah. Uh, yeah they call yes, them tampons it, it, because of this. It, it, it got trickier when we were involved in Iraq and Afghanistan. But yes, in, in, in normal times, that's definitely how Yeah, it exactly. And, and this, this also shows the weakness of the empire in a way that these people... Like, the U.S. didn't have enough soldiers, essentially, so they just said, oh, well, okay, you're part of the army now, good luck. And you're going to Iraq. Like, you're not a citizen militia, uh, you're part of our professional military now, because we don't have enough people. Yeah, they're supposed to be, like, emergency reserves. Yeah, but, but like, the thing here is that once, once you have people who are soldiers like, you know, one day or two days of the month, and they spend, like, the rest of that, you know, month out in rural Virginia or or rural Texas or whatever, which is where you recruit these people from. Like, it's not libs joining the National Guard in any serious capacity other other than as useless commissars. Like, these people are embedded, like, they're loyal to where they spend 98% of the time, not where they spend 2% of the time. Like, this this is unavoidable. It's part of the structure of the thing. So, you know, Texas has 20K of these people, like 20,000 guardsmen, roughly, who are recruited not from, like, you know, the liberal middle class... And um, who uh, represent a, f- a military force, which, you know, like, these people are not part of the Lib tribe. Like, they can't be, because they spend all their time out in the areas that they are then supposed to, I don't know, you know, napalm or whatever, when the Libs order them to. This is a fantastically, like, dangerous thing to have. What are American elites doing? They're not going, oh, well, let's trial balloon abolishing the National Guard. No, this is too annoying. So they're going to say, what if we make the Capitol Police into this, I don't know, KGB? Like, what if they open up a branch office in Florida? These are not the acts of serious tyrants. Like, these... You have the Keystone Cops equivalent of a tyrant. If that tyrant or wannabe tyrant can't actually identify the immense dangers of having like a armed force, which is not like like the National Guard, it's not, you know, five percent of the United States military or something like that. Like the United States military does not have like a lot of grunts with rifles, actually. The, 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 the total size of the armed forces, all branches, like it's 1,200, or, or sorry, 1. 1.2 million um, active personnel. And then 700,000 people in the reserve. And reservists are inherently un, 
unre- unreliable. You don't want to rely on them because them being reservists means they're you know out in the civilian population, which means they're fraternizing with the civilians that you're supposed to suppress, which means you know you can't trust their loyalty. But out of these 1.2 million people in the active force, I don't have the exact numbers, but it's like roughly in the neighborhood of maybe 200,000 of these people are people with, you know, guns who are supposed to go into combat in theory, at least. Or, you know, pilots, flying planes or whatever. Um, the, the, the tooth-to-tail ratio, like the logistics to actual fighting men in the US, it's it's far, far, like there's far less teeth um, than, you know, during World War II or whatever. And, you know, people who spend their time maintaining a stealth helicopter or something, like that stealth helicopter doesn't work in a civil war. Because, again, the way you lose a civil war is by, you know, bombing enough weddings where you get to that point where, just like in South America, it doesn't matter how many you kill. Like, you know, there is no longer any commonality. Like, stealth helicopters, AC-130 gunships... Tanks, nuclear submarines, aircraft carriers, all of that shit, it's useless. Like, all you have is people with rifles, maybe in armored cars. Like, that's all you need. Well, I mean, what, would, what even would victory look like? There, you know what yeah. I mean? There, there, yeah, exactly. There would be an end to it. This, like, uh, there, there is no war. That, like, uh, you could maybe, like, I mean... There's no war. There's nothing you could win. Uh, yeah, they're going to get replaced because they're not. They're not running. The, uh, they're going to get replaced by someone who's this. Ah, you know what? We'll take over and I'll run this thing uh, more efficiently. Yeah, and so like the 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 amount of people in the U.S. military is like for like the amount of people that are relevant to a counterinsurgency. Let's just say they're like far. There's far fewer of them in a counterinsurgency than in a quote-unquote near-peer uh, uh, comp- competition. Uh, because again, like, if you're fighting China, maybe those stealth helicopters are of some use. Maybe those gunships can actually do something. But if you're fighting Yol qaeda or the American <laughs> Taliban, like, you know, if you're fighting the actual Taliban and you send a drone, oh, well, I blew up this kindergarten. Oh, you know, whoops. You know, who cares? Like, Americans obviously didn't really think that the the hearts and minds of the people they were supposed to civilize really mattered that much. And, and they didn't in terms of, like, Ameri- American political calculations. But it's a whole different kettle of fish to blow up a kindergarten in, you know, Houston to Americans living in Houston than it is to blow up a kin- kindergarten in Kandahar, if you, if you catch my drift. Like, once you start blowing up kindergartens in the United States, uh, you have a huge problem. Yeah. The business sector would just, uh, or whoever, would, would uh, everyone, all these different forces would just back, uh, like, why are you doing this? Why don't you just go back to, to collecting taxes from Houston, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, it's the worst part is is like if you were if you were in a, like in one of the top elites and you you were actually a person who had a lot of power and you could have a say in the direction things were going. What you would do right now if you were concerned about the long term existence of the United States of America would be 
the exact opposite of what they're doing now. You'd be like, we need to stop. We need to get people to start like, uh, we need to do essentially what happened after the civil war. We need to get people and we need to make up stories, whatever we got to yeah. do to get people to like, like if, if you're in New York and you're in Texas, Hey, we're all Americans. We all love each other. It's all great. Let's talk, let's, let's think, but the, there's two problems with that. The first is that that would weaken like their, their political power. And that's all they care about. And like, that's true of most people in power. But the second one is, we're not, we ain't that country anymore. There's no, you can't reference the Mayflower or Jamestown yeah. and it'd be something that, that, you know, we're not that anymore. That's, that shit's gone out the window. So like, there's, there's really no, that's not, none of that's going to happen. We're not going to see another, like the, you know, the, the brothers come back together after the war. That's not, we're not seeing that. Yeah, and, that's done with. And you know, Bog Beef sort of handed this guy on Twitter, Noah Smith, who, who wrote this post, like series of posts. <laughs> about, um, you know, the coming sort of internal suppression of the second, like, illegal insurrection of the southern shots or whatever. And um, the interesting thing, which I think a lot of people missed, because Noah Smith, like, the, the, the open, the sort of obvious argument he makes is that, well, we're going to need to F- send in the FBI to, um, you know, we droned, we droned some folks or tortured some folks or whatever it was that Obama said. Like, we're going to have to do that thing all over again because it's just necessary. And I mean, yeah, that's a big takeaway. Like, these people like Noah Smith are obviously sort of trial ballooning that idea and finding out that they actually kind of like it. But there's a bit, like there's another aspect to this argument, which is I find far more fascinating and far more sort of indicative of just where things are headed. Because what he says, uh, and and he gets all of these retweets from you know Washington insiders and you know think tank analysts and so on. So like they they seem to agree with him. But what he says is essentially that you know wokeness, the woke people are out to destroy all of these old, what you talked about, Marek, you know, Mayflower, uh, like, our identity as Americans, Constitution, Independence Day, Apple Pie, like, name anything from, from old America. And they want to essentially light it on fire and then pretend like it never existed. Because all of this stuff is evil. Apple Pie, that's evil. Abolitionists... John Brown, probably evil. I mean, he was a white male after all. Like, maybe he didn't want to <laughs> abolish slavery after all. Like, you know, maybe he was a part of the rotten system. Maybe Abe Lincoln was actually, like, super evil. Uh, maybe everything is super evil. Like, maybe America needs to be destroyed. Like, we don't believe in this sort of common mythology anymore. Like, this is not a ground for, for building a, a, a polity. Like, libs are openly saying that, and they're not joking around. And and Noah Smith says, what's going to replace this is wokeness. Like, wokeness is going to be the next 4th of July, like this sort of part of a pantheon of common meaning. Like, you will have an ethnicity, a new ethnicity in a sense, because Americans are, or at least were, an ethnic group even though Americans like to deny that. Like, you're not Swedish or Germans or whatever, like, you're Americans. Noah Smith is just saying that, well, now that we're going to destroy the ability to be an American, we're going to have, like, American 2.0, 2.0, which is woke. 
Like we will create a new people of the woke and they will have this new republic of the woke. And this will be our new country. This will be the foundation of a new country. You gotta respect this because at least unlike like a lot of other libs, like he actually realizes that for a country to exist, there must be a commonly held belief that, you know, creates this group of people that says we're the same. And he says, well, the woke are not going to stop slaughtering the idea of America as something to believe in. Like, they're going to go all the way with that. Like, if there's something to say right now, which is increasingly doubtful, well, sooner or later, they're going to, like, kill all the stragglers, like, kill the last remaining belief in, in America's country. You got to have a story. Uh, you have to have a story. Zizek makes a, a, a little story that I'm kind of twisting a little bit, but he talks about... Um, like uh, you invite, you know, you go out to the, you, you go out, you take a woman out, and at the end of the night, you say, uh, "Well, do you want to come up to my my apartment and get some coffee?" The like the coffee is irrelevant; it may not yeah. even exist. However, this doesn't work without the story about the, the coffee. You can't yeah, say, exactly. "Hey, you want to come up and fuck?" Well, maybe you could, but not really. Uh, in general, <laughs> depends on the person. Yeah, yeah. but in yeah. general, uh, yeah, you need the story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you need some sort of lie that everyone agrees to sort of buy into, even and, though and like the, it's the reality isn't really living up to the lie. That that lie is constrained by reality. There's certain things that you yeah. could say. There's certain things that you could that you can do. You can't just make up anything. And you ha- you have like uh, uh, this is why like you know politicians will be hesitant to lie to you to like th- th- they'll give you stuff because you you can be a pain in their ass if you if 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 they do lie to you you say hey where's where's my stuff you, anyways th- there is some it is co- even if it's a lie it's still constrained by reality yeah America exists if people believe in it and if nobody believes in America like it has stopped existing it's really that simple and and this is kind of the sort of tragic genius of the Noah Smith Fred, because he admits that, you know, the libs are killing America and they're not going to stop. And even if they were stopped, like they would never accept that. Like America is dead to them and they make up a significant part of the country. So something new is needed. It's just that, and and most libs, they don't even care. They just go, oh, kill all the unvaccinated. Like, let's send in the nukes to nuke the shuds because... They're bad, horse paced, whatever. Like they're just completely sunk out. But but Noah Smith isn't. He says, "Well, we need some, we need a new story, and it's going to be wokeness. And not everyone is going to accept wokeness, so we're going to have to manhandle them, and you know, torture them, or you know, beat them with sticks, send their kids to um, kidnap their kids, send, set them, you know, put them into woke families, civilize them, do all of that stuff that nation states have historically, like France did this to create the French. Um, and we're going to do the same except with wokeness. I mean, the fact that this is said shows you just how like hopeless the situation is for them because like, no, it's not going to work. First of all, like the American sort of state, the the bureaucracy, it it isn't looking very good, fam. Like you have huge problems of institutional incompetence, graft, like over centralization, where costs of trying to increase centralization 
just balloon over the benefits. Like, you don't have a strong enough state to actually affect this. But the real problem is that, like, wokeness for people outside of the cities, like, it doesn't offer you any sort of benefit for people to buy into a religion or some common creed or whatever. There has to be something in it for them. Like, there has to be. The central part of it is 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 coalitioning, like, through these ethnicities and stuff. So, like, it just becomes just nonsensical. Like, you know how Lebanon does their government? Where, yeah. like, they, they have parties, but, like, 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 it would be like, okay, so we're going to have, like, uh, you know, the Christian party and the Muslim party, but everyone has to like that the Christians, like, it, it doesn't make sense. It, because, yeah, they, and they, they don't even have those plans. Like, they're mortally afraid of, like, the people they say they, they want to speak for. Like, they really don't like black people. Yes. Which is why, like, you, you're not supposed to interview black people, actually, without pre-screening their opinions to actually represent sort of upper white, like, upper middle class white woman. If you're gay and black and you've been to grad school for, like, 200 years, they'll, they'll, uh, uh, they'll have dinner with you. Outside yeah. of that, it, it's it's limited. Yeah, I mean, again, to tie this back into the the real point of censorship, when that guy on from the Intercept or whatever, like that Asian guy, I think, interviewed some guy during the like a black person during the, yeah Lee Fang yeah Lee Fang. He just interviewed a black guy living in one of these neighborhoods with, that were ravaged by friend, like fury, but mostly peaceful riots. And the guy just said, you know, like. Yeah, sure, cops shooting unarmed black people or whatever. Yeah, that's a problem. But in terms of how many people die, it's it's nothing compared to like the gang violence that libs suppose like seemingly don't give a shit about. Like we need to fix the gang violence, and we'll save you know a hundred times, five hundred times more lives. Like that's the real issue. I mean, the guy got fired for that. <laughs> Like, the guy got fired for actually asking a person uh, living in the area concerned what he thought about this political issue, like this fight waged in his name. And he had an unapproved opinion. So, like, the people, the, the journalist that was so stupid to break Ometa, like, he, 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 got, he got drummed out. Like the, uh, I, no, he's still, he's still the intercept. But that's important. It's not People, important. Yeah. Uh, there's okay. one, this is one thing that come up that like uh, uh, in terms of like these stories, these cynical stories, like in terms of highlighting the uh, the, the hypocrisy, is it useful? And certain it's I think it is certainly useful in a lot of ways because uh, people don't you like until you see these things like the Larry Elder thing or you know those Antifa guys beating up those black families that were like uh, they were having that vigil in that park and stuff. Like you you have to see a certain these certain things because otherwise you. you uh, you you have to realize how cynical this shit is. Yeah, like it, it it's whatever. Like it, it's it's it would be better if this was like uh you know the Serbs hating the Croats and shit. No, these are just like lazy motherfucking people that are collecting checks in these bu- these bureaucratic organizations. It's all hooked into like this giant D- Democratic Party thing. Like it is so cynical. Like you can't imagine how cynical this is. Yeah, I mean, this This is about class. It's not about race yes. in the end. And, and you know, writers really go, oh, man, you can't, you can't take this away from me. Like, you know, you're just some raging leftist. Like, 
you don't understand my pain. And no, I do understand your pain, but that your pain your pain is not politically relevant. I'm sorry to say that. Like, it would be you know, easier if it was the race. That's why they want that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, at the end of the day, uh, if it was about race, the libs would have a functioning fucking, like, Lebanese, Lebanese model. They don't. Lebanon is not some sort of ideal to strive for in, in, in the area of good government. It's a fucking mess. Like, please, like, if you can avoid it... Um, you should avoid being like Lebanon. But no, these people, they're not heading towards Lebanon. Like, they can't trust black people or Latinos or Asians enough well, to actually have this corporatist model. Well, there's two steps. So Lebanon, like right now, it's it's bizarre. It's kind of funny. They have this weird government where like the president's Christian and, 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 and the, it, it's, it's kind of funny. However, like, and like, so they have this like stabilized situation. However, a whole lot of people had to die before they yeah. got there. Yeah, and what they have now is a quote-unquote stable sort of patronage clutch where all of these things, all of these positions are sort of divided up into corporatist groups. Like, you get to elect the president because you're a Mennonite and we get to elect this because we're this. Libs don't, they can't afford actually creating a real corporatist interest for black people or Latinos. Like, no, there's not enough resources. Like, the, the, the overarching um, interest is to sort of prop up this failing uh, professional strata, the, this, these, like, completely decadent managers. And... Uh, there's not enough money to take. Like, what what are you gonna do? Are you gonna like fire some NGO person in Washington and say we're gonna use this money to repair the waterworks in Flint, so that like the people in Flint are gonna be loyal to us uh, because we do things for them and they repay us with their loyalty. I mean, you could do that if you were some sort of god or. Overman who didn't have to care about the political reality in Washington. You could just say, like, you people at this NGO or whatever, you haven't done a fucking useful thing in 50 years. Like, I'm tired of paying for you. I'm going to pay for, you know, making sure people in Flint have uh, clean drinking water, not because I'm some sort of idiotic sanitarian or because I'm, you know, moral, but because these people are more useful soldiers than you useless fucks are. Like, you could say that, but it's not going to be said. Like, the black people in Flint, and the white people in Flint, for that matter, are more useful soldiers than some idiot, like, fellow at the Institute for the American whatever. (laughs) Noah Smith, for sure. Yeah, like, you get a lot of bang for your buck that way, but, like, that's not the issue. Like, the the libs are not sort of making these choices based on, like, how can we survive? They're too incompetent and too sort of with their backs against the wall for that. Like, um, it's it's the Noah Smiths and the sort of three-star generals who don't recognize their own soldiers' uniforms and thinks that Brits are Americans. Like, these people are making choices based on, like... How can I pay myself a salary and and avoid you know getting a lesser salary? So no, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna build like a patronage system with minorities. It it's not gonna happen. And and only like these upper middle class sort of you know rightoids who who 
got kicked out of of the way into the American elite and are really salt about it. Like only those people who, or who read far too many books and think that this is what politics is about could be so deluded to think that, yeah, liberals are building like a racial patronage machine right now. No, they're building a patronage machine for uh, people who belong to the managerial strata. That's it. Um, you can be you can be part of any race and belong to that strata, but like corporatist models based on like racial belonging, like that's that's not going on right now. It would be fairly cheap, I think. It's not going to take two trillion dollars to fix the water plant in Flint. It's not going to take like a thousand of one percent of that. But it's not going to happen. Like a thousand or one percent of the debacle in Afghanistan, that's too much money to divert from the managers. Um, so again, like if you were, if the libs were serious tyrants, which they're not, and, and this is not a good thing for America, I think people just go, nobody's going to fight the libs, they're soaring, like it's going to be trains running on time to the tranny re-education camps it's going to be like the perfect oppressive machine people will say that as a cope because they don't want to live in 90s russia and you know nobody should blame them for saying that because living in 90s russia is a lot worse than living in even if it's rainbow colored and and gay or whatever than than living in some perfect like tyranny fixing this is the thing about uh so fixing the water in flint there's no way for the you know the problem with them is they're this oligarchical class machine, and so there's no way for like to get rich off that. There is a way to get yeah. rich off of this this stuff over there. This this why these things like this Flint stuff they just they, they, there's just no way to have an input of that into the political process because this this just does this means nothing to uh, their 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 political system. Whereas it it actually would for like you know a, a, like a diabolical dictator or whatever. Yeah, and so like if you're smart in this situation. Like with the the um, the Texas abortion stuff, for example, you kind of realize that, um, and this is a lesson that Hitler refused to learn in in World War Two, is that you know holding a particular hill or w- village or whatever, like it doesn't really matter. Like it might give you some tactical advantages, but like on the strategic level, you really have to retreat sometimes. Retreating does not make you weaker by default or like by some sort of cosmic law. It can actually make you a lot stronger. And yeah. this is this is what happened during during the the uh, the Barbarossa offensive. Like after after the Germans sort of failed to take Moscow, they you know retreated a bit, rationalized their lines, and they you know got a pretty impressive kill death ratio because they built a bunch of bunkers and. Uh, just a moral and idiotic Soviet commanders just said, oh, well, you know, just rush that bunker, that prepared machine gun position, just run up to it in the deep snow and do something, like throw a grenade or whatever. And so, like, people would get mowed down in the, by the dozens. Um, but, like, in, in the Texas situation, if you have this sort of federal republic and you're too lazy to, you know abolish the National Guard. And just to finish the earlier point, like in a situation where there's maybe like 150, 200,000 um, people who you could give a rifle to in the, 
in the U.S. Armed Services, if you got national, like Coast Guard people to help out, and you know, got everyone with some sort of combat training on board. Texas alone having 20,000 guys who are not professional military, but are people who live out in, in you know, Shudsville, USA, uh, 29 days per, per month, and then go and learn how to shoot a rifle for that other guy for that other month. Like 20,000, that's 10% just from Texas. These are like significant numbers. So... You don't have nobody saying, "Oh well, let's let's get rid of this immense security threat to a imperial order where we just do away with the federal state, like the the notion of federalism." Like, if you want to abolish federalism, you start with the national guard. You abolish that first before you do anything else. Like, they're not going to do that. Their solution is. What if we let the Capitol Police open a branch office in Miami? That's the level they're playing at. So if they're that lazy, like, maybe you should let this one go. Maybe, like, Texas women should just drive to the next state over if they want to have an abortion after week six. Like, the world isn't going to end. Again, I don't say this, like, to take a particular stance, whether, like, outlawing abortion or allowing it at this particular week. Like, ignore that question. Just think about, like, what are you losing by not giving up this particular hill? And do you have the actual forces on the ground to defend it? Like, I don't think that this law is going to stand for long, but the risk is that people are going to see this law as a symbol of creeping, you know, empire. They're not going to be particularly wrong to to see this conflict in that light, even if they don't particularly care about abortion itself. And once people start thinking of it that way, you're going to pay a huge cost in legitimacy if you just say, oh, well, you know, what you vote on, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Every time they have to do this, uh, every time this comes up, they end up like uh, the Roe vs. Wade thing was settled in a way that like uh, it's kind of like everyone knows that that uh the way they did it is kind of bullshit where they said it was due to this privacy and stuff like yeah. that and, and you know it's bulwark by the they're saying like oh well you know you, this this has to be legal everywhere because it's, it's in the constitution which by the way no one believes uh so you know it, you have to respect that because it's in the constitution well the second amendment's in california and it's like a, it's a bitch to get a gun there so yeah no one no one respects any of this stuff yeah and so again like this sort of maximalist position these libs have, it's really deluded. And it's not stemming from some place of confidence. Like the moment you see all of these blue checks going like, yeah, this man, is- it would be such a shame to roll out the tanks and then just fucking blow people up at random in, you know, Kansas City or whatever. We have tanks. Pray we do not use them, shud. Yeah, there's uh, so you know in warfare there's kind of like uh, so every now and then there's like a there's like a not one step back thing. We won't cede one mm-hmm. ounce of ground. Uh, there's a time when you do that, like uh, I uh, I guess uh, when if you're Stalin, you got billions of people and stuff like that. But there's another time when you do it when you're basically in denial that uh, yeah. y- you need to go regroup. Yeah, exactly. But but what you realize when you hear these people 
like movie bob or whatever talk about like we should use our superior technology to just massacre uh civilians in red states until they learn to love us first when you see something like that you go this guy can't be serious but then after like two years of them saying that same thing over and over you start going oh my god they actually believe this like jesus christ and and again it's not the problem here isn't that well this is mean like i can't believe you're you're this immoral this is worse than a crime it's a mistake like the 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 most basic point of any sort of counterinsurgency is that well you either have to basically kill everyone and and the problem in the us is too too big like the the um or you have to make them love you yeah, exactly. You you heard about the uh, one of Napoleon's. Uh, so there's not too many guys. There's it's, it's a counterinsurgency is a difficult problem. So there's not too many people in history that are good at it. But we know who like uh, uh, Napoleon had one of them, and he deployed him in, in Spain to uh, to do the counterinsurgency. Basically, uh, he figured out pretty soon, and he told those guys like, "Well, we have to make them love us." So he started. They started doing all these kinds of public services and stuff. Eventually, like even after the uh, when, when he died, many years later, they had like a big state funeral for him. They're like, "Oh, we love this guy," you know, uh, because uh, that's either you have to do that or you have to genocide him. That's that's the only choice. Yeah, and again, like a lot of these sort of revolutionary situations, like the thing that actually, and this will become incredibly clear if you listen to something like Mike Duncan's Revolution podcast, because it's it's just the biggest running theme. It's kind of like an in-joke he has, which is, and then someone, nobody knows who, like, fired a shot. And, and, and you know, protesters died, and, and whoops, now the situation is totally out of control. Like, the position of, of King Louis XVI is not Oh hell yeah! Like some civilians in Paris got massacred by my troops. This is great. It's oh my god! Uh, now a line has been crossed, and we're totally losing control of the situation. Like even incompetent monarchs usually understand that the moment that you have this sort of unjustifiable violence against your own population, this is like you know pouring. I don't know, like nitroglycerin into a furnace. Like, no, please stop. Like, it's going to blow up and it's going to make a huge fucking mess. But libs actually seem to believe, like a lot of them, that like the way you win these conflicts is just just sort of kill people. Just do it. Like, just, oh, well, you know, Ashley Babbitt, she just went to a protest. How about we shoot her in the neck? Yeah, she fucked around. And she found out. Yeah. Well, it's the cheapest thing to say because uh, all the other answers to the question would involve uh, someone's going to have to give up stuff. Yeah, but but again, like the Ashley Babbitt thing. Sure, people could be saying, "Oh well, Ashley Babbitt, she fucked up. Uh, she fucked around and found out." Like, oh, I don't care. As a sort of you know, okay, this has already happened, and we can't admit that we were wrong, so we have to say that, you know, just murdering her was the good thing. But, like, if I'm being honest, I think people actually think that, like, this is how it works. Yeah. Yeah. 
but it's 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 again it's worse than a crime like you know you probably shouldn't share the fact that an unarmed woman got killed uh for like there were lots of ways that situation could have ended without anyone dying uh, and it's a shame that you know we have had to pick the one scenario where like someone died sure like on a moral level that's true but it's just like <laughs> If you hadn't shot her, nobody in the U.S. would be talking about Ashley Babbitt. You have created this situation totally needlessly. Well, I mean, I guess they're right on that case, but it's just uh, uh, this sort of matters. Like uh, any crime you do in America, the only thing that matters is if someone uh, gets it on a, uh, a video on their camera. Yeah. Well, obviously, it, obviously, in her case, it doesn't matter. If you can get on the video and then... Uh, the person who fucking murdered you can go on live TV and proclaim himself a hero and get worshipped by the media. Yeah, so, I mean... Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah but that was, like... Uh, I, I never saw a video of it. And it was and it was suppressed who it was for a couple of weeks. They they hit him and shit. More than a couple of weeks, they just admitted, like, not too long ago, like, it was like six or seven months they suppressed who he was. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the thing is, like, sure, this sort of censorship, it works to some sense... Maybe, but I don't think I don't think like a lot of Americans were, were were on the right were sort of ignorant of this. But again, like even yeah. if you have like an eighty five percent success ratio in getting people not to talk about this, like you would have a hundred percent success ratio if you ju- had just not shot her. And again, like what would she have done if you hadn't shot her? Said something like, "I think Trump won the election." Like who fuck who the fuck cares? Or, or you know, in her in that case, this is the this the 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 cop in question like left his gun in the bathroom yeah. before he he's clearly like a fucking idiot. So you could have just fired yeah. him and, and 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 left it at that, and it would have been like that. You you would have probably satisfied a lot of people. Like, well, that's pretty much what happens with cops who fuck up. Uh, but they I mean, they won't, they can't they they're not one. There's not one step back is allowed. Exactly. You can't do it. I mean, what does Nancy Pelosi lose if she makes an example of this guy? Like, if the Democrats, like, well, okay, you, we may not, we may not like the shots, but uh, a principle is a principle, and if you just murder someone for no reason, that's bad. So you don't have to like us, cons, but you can't say that we're hypocrites. Like, you know, nobody loses anything from that. Like, what wh- what the fuck do people think will happen? Like, people in MAGA hats will sort of storm Congress every fucking day? But, but again, like, people are really in that, oh my god, you said something that contradicted my completely unrealistic view of things, blocked. If you talk to a lib about anything, like, political... Like, you can really see their lack of self-preservation. Because any sort of complaint just goes, I'm not going to listen to this. How dare you complain, peasant? If you talk to the Okhrana in Russia about your complaints, they'd go, oh my, this is very fascinating. Please tell us everything you think is wrong. Let me just get my pen and paper to take all of this down, because this is really bracing stuff. Like, please don't skimp on the details, Mr. Peasant or Fishmonger Wife or whatever. Like, tell us everything. And then maybe you'd, you know, get exiled to Siberia or whatever. But, you know, they they took an interest in that stuff. Like, it's if everyone says this is a huge problem, like, maybe you can fix that and, and people will get out of your hair. Uh, libs, they just go, 
you know, I have the ultimate power to just eliminate you from existence by blocking you. And, you know, we should have all of these corona lockdowns forever. So nobody ever goes outside of um, their own home, except, you know, all of these invisible people who keep the electricity on, uh, make sure that, you know, food is delivered, um, work at the docks unloading goods, etc., etc. Like these people, they can probably go outside because otherwise I'm not going to get my Grubhub. What do they vote for? Hmm, you know, best not to really think about it. But everyone else, everyone else should stay inside and just be on Twitter all day. And we should have these <laughs> lockdowns forever. Because if that happens, I will become a god. Anyone who says something I don't like on Twitter, I can just ask Jack to uh, eliminate them from the universe. He has that power. He presses a button and this person disappears. I've never actually seen it myself, but I've, I've heard about this, so forgive me if I'm wrong. But supposedly in, like, in traditional Japanese theater, there's this concept like where you have you – have like the background is black, and you'll get a guy and you'll dress him up from head to toe in black – and uh, he'll like he'll kill one of the characters almost something halfway between like a, a Deus Ex Machina and like you know to stand in for some unseen force, right? And like that's supposedly where the whole concept of the ninja dressing up in black came from. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that's the story. It's a good story. Yeah. My point my point here was is that you have all these invisible people and they're like they're you know head to toe in black and they're just going about their lives and they're completely unseen by the the people who we're talking about and they remain that way and and you could you could kind of ignore them right up to the moment where like you know the katana comes out from from nowhere and and it slices your head off that's that's generally how how revolts worked in history yeah and and, and so you had this situation in australia recently that really sort of illustrates how people get this principle as backwards. So um, um, you had someone posting on Twitter like this long, long line of um, lorries. Like, you know, uh, what's the word in, in, in American English? Truck. Yeah, truck. yeah trucks. Yeah. Uh, and, and supposedly these trucks, like, you know, truckers in, in Australia were having a protest about, like, all of these fucking corona restrictions. But, you know, the omnipotent media is just suppressing the story. Nobody's reporting on it. So, like, all truckers in Australia can just go on strike, and, you know, they're powerless, man. Because the media can just say, well, you don't exist. Like, a lot of people who should know better, I guess, but, but again, like, they're not stupid... They just don't think more than... They, they, they just don't, like, question their own assumptions. A lot of people said, holy shit, like, this shows that the totalitarians are just, like, they're, they're out of this world. Like, they can, they can just... They, they can rule by decree. They don't care about anything. Like, they're Sauron. No, they're fucking not. Like, look, if no truck is, delivers food to the supermarket and the media doesn't report on it... Will the shelves on the supermarket be empty or will they be full? I didn't think about that. <laughs> so if you have someone with the ultimate power of just saying, well, I'm not going to care about these truckers. They don't exist. Sap. Like, <laughs> this is the perfect way to wreck your own fucking society. It's not a way to, you know, prevent the revolution. It's a way for you to trick yourself into going, well, truckers, they, they no longer exist. They've been removed from the universe. 
But again, like as the old saw goes, every society is just three square meals away from a revolution. So maybe what you should do, like, there's probably some point to not letting the, the peasants know that like other peasants are causing grief. But again, like this is a very limited power. This is like, okay, we can keep this under wraps until we strike a deal with the truckers, so you know, murder them and find you know, truckers from somewhere else. Uh, but if the truckers don't drive their trucks, society is going to freeze up. All of these ideas about like the incredible power of the secret police and control over narratives and so on. Narratives, narratives don't put food on the shelves of supermarkets. I'm sorry, they, they don't. They never have and they never will. People transporting food to supermarkets put food on supermarket shelves. If you lose them, like this narrative control, it's worse than useless. It actually can trick you into thinking like a literal human baby that what you do not perceive does not exist. And libs are hugely into that. Like it's, it's the way they cope. This is much, much more dangerous for the average American than them being, you know, Sauron. Because Sauron supposedly, like, you know, he keeps the train r- trains running in mortar or whatever because he's, like, a divine being. Kamala Harris is not necessarily going to keep food on the supermarket shelves. She doesn't care. And even if she cared, like, she's not necessarily competent enough to handle the task. A lot of this cope is probably out of, like, genuine ignorance. Again, like, you see something like, you know, a bunch of truckers that um, the media, they just killed the story. And you go, man, this is actually pretty impressive. Like, how can people resist when the media can just erase this from existence? But of course they don't. They erase it from the imagination, which is not the same thing. It's not even in the same ballpark as being the same thing. And if you think about this for a couple of minutes, you really realize that, well, you know, maybe the Lord's Masters of Australia, like, the more they ignore this, the weaker they become. So, like, this is a sign of weakness and not strength. But these people don't think for more, like, they don't think about this stuff at all. They, they honestly believe as long as you control the narrative... As long as I don't have to listen to this, as long as I can block this or whatever, like, it doesn't exist. And elites can do that for a surprisingly short amount of time, short uh, amount of time before the wheels really start coming off. Um, and, and people who today say, oh, man, like, this is fine. Neoliberalism, you know, capitalism is reifying or whatever. Like, you don't understand. You have to listen to my podcast or subscribe to my Substack or like read this thing written by some guy 200 years ago that shows that like the US is going to last forever. Like, these people are, and I say this advisedly, like, they're mentally insane. Like, if you, if you listen to them, well, I mean, good luck. Like, sure, maybe. Maybe the Kamala Harris Reich lost forever, and maybe stuff like, you know, trucks, boats, harbors, sewer systems. Maybe that's just, like, your opinion, man. But maybe those things exist. Maybe they have a material reality. And if you ignore that material reality for too long, uh, things are going to go bad. 
Maybe this all could have been avoided if the czar had a block button. <laughs> exactly. Making their way the only way they know how. Let's just.